Rundown is a show where four Catholic men opine on current affairs of the world, the matters of faith, culture, and politics. It's unfiltered, it's daring, and it's certainly unapologetic. The Rundown is a weekly news show. But it's more than that. It's a family of like-minded Catholics who are preparing for the coming chastisement. You cover church news, politics, and current events around the world, linking them in a way no one else does, giving you the perspective no one else can. The Rundown is not meant for children because it informs and prepares parents, young adults, seminarians, even priests watch The Rundown to know about the most pressing and evolving threats to the Catholic faith today. Brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com This is The Rundown, broadcasting live here on our own YouTube channel, The Rundown YouTube channel, and now simulcasting with our radio broadcasting partner, The Crusade Channel at CrusadeChannel.com, media the way it should be. Today we're talking about the chaos conclave in the United States, that is, death of Benedict XVI. Some people were snubbed, very surprising who it was. Hamlin heart attack, COVID 7.0 happening around the world. New Jersey, New York, California coming to a blue state near you. And the wisdom, the Windsor family, the royals, are unraveling before our eyes. Lots to get to. This is the rundown. Chill gray morning in Rome, the pallbearers brought the coffin into St. Peter's Square. Tens of thousands from all over the world gathered to pray and remember and say goodbye to Pope Benedict XVI. Just a few hours before today's Mass, a private ceremony. Benedict's body placed into the coffin, hewn from cypress wood, his face gently covered. He had asked for a simple funeral, and it was. Barely a mention that he had ever been Pope. Pope Francis presided and delivered the homily. Speaking of the gratitude the church has for Benedict's life, it was the first time in centuries that a pope has laid his predecessor to rest. Benedict's longtime secretary kissing the coffin before mass, and afterwards, Francis with a blessing and a prayer, a fond farewell. Born a king. 
on Bethlehem's plain, gold I bring to crown him again. King forever, ceasing never over us all to reign. O star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light. Frankincense to offer have I, incense owns a deity nigh, Prayer and praising, all men raising, worship him, God on high. O star of wonder, star of night, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading, still proceeding, guide us to thy perfect light.
Happy Epiphany Tide to all of you rundown listeners. We are so excited to be with you this evening. Special Saturday evening edition. Today is January the 7th, 2023. Can you believe it's already 2023? So many things to talk about. Passing of, I don't know what to call him, Ryan. I refuse to use a made-up fictional term of Pope Emeritus. I'm either going to call him Benedict or Ratzinger, but I'm not going to call him Pope Emeritus. I'm just not playing that game. <clears throat> yeah, the, the whole concept of Pope Emeritus, there, there's like a level in which it makes a certain degree of sense, but it's completely novel. There's no reason for it. Uh, it would have made far more sense to simply, again, be Bishop uh, Ratzinger, since I mean, he was not in the Cardinalate. They left the Cardinalate to become Pope, so he would not transition back to the Cardinalate normally unless the Pope said, oh, yeah, to be Cardinal again, too. Uh, it would just you know be Archbishop Ratzinger, Archbishop Emeritus Ratzinger. It's really what he should have done. And that would have, I know, deflated some of the the other uh, theories that came around afterward. But beside that, I mean, there's a lot to say about Pope Benedict. I've held my peace. I've not, you know, gone at length talking about uh, saying anything about him, just because of the fact that you know it's like give respect to the dead, right? And you see Thomas Reese, whom uh, right back at the beginning of Benedict's papacy, he um, had a uh, you know, Benedict, you know, got Reese kicked off of America. So Reese decided that uh, now is the occasion for revenge as, as a dish best served cold, even when Benedict's body isn't even cold yet. So, you know, go, going after him. And then you have on the other side, the, the absolute adulation and um, lifting him up, doctor of the church, you know, the greatest, most scholarly popes, you know, that's ever sat on people throne. And it's like, no, that's that's not true. He was, he was uh, just to all things being equal. He was a great scholar, without a doubt. Uh, far smarter than I am. Uh, knew, knew a lot more, probably forgot a lot more than I'll ever know. But when you look at the, the history of great scholars that have sat on the throne of, of St. Peter, Achille Ratti, uh, Pope Pius XI, uh, I think he was a far better scholar. Uh, Prosper Lambertini, uh, also known as uh, Benedict XIV, you know, also one of the one of the greatest theologians and papal scholars to sit on the papal throne, uh, to say nothing of Innocent the Third, you know, and, and several others. So there's like a rush and, and I, I both sides. And so I've just kind of, you know, held my peace until tonight. I don't know. You want me to go now? Or you want me to go later? No, no, no. Let's let's save it for a second. Here's right. Biden on Benedict. What did Pope Benedict mean to you as a Catholic? Well, I, I had an opportunity to spend some time with Pope Benedict, a couple hours. And uh and, uh, he uh, was a great, it reminded me of going back to theology class. We spoke about Aquinas and about Summa Theologica and the whole way. I found him to be uh, uh, relaxing, very rational, and uh, he was more conservative view within the Catholic realm than I have. He spoke to the Pope, the present Pope, in terms of his philosophy, his view. Well, I, I, I admired him. I thought he was a fine dude. You're not attending his funeral tomorrow, though. Why? Well, why do you think? Well, you tell me. Uh, you know why. I can't. You can tell me, sir. Uh, the reason I'm not attending the funeral tomorrow is because it takes an entourage of thousand people to show up, not literally. But we would, we would move everything in the wrong direction. I inquired about it. And the people are sending mostly their apostolic delegates, their, the folks in Rome. That's what we're going to do. We would just get in the way. But I, I made my views known. I'm anyway. Thank you, sir. First of all, I'm calling Merida Bowies on the whole notion that he and, and, and Benedict talked to Aquinas. 
one, uh, the Pope actually wasn't a big fan of Aquinas. He probably would have been going to some Franciscan guy or, or um, von Balthasar, too. Um, it, it's probably the only guy that Biden could think of to mention that sounds smart. <laughs> well, given the fact that he said the Italian name instead of the Latin name, the Summa Theologiae, rather than the Summa Theologica, right. all my Italian professors always got on to me about that. I thought it was interesting that uh, fake Catholic usurper in chief Joe Biden actually mentioned the present Pope, but couldn't think of his name. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I, I like the, the current guy, James, uh, a little bit better. I mean, he was a little too more too conservative, but I, I'm on board with uh, the current uh, World Economic Forum uh, kind of guy. Yeah, that's the that's the problem, you know. Um, imagine having a church where you can distinguish uh, two popes by uh, by their philosophy and theology. Um, and it's it's a shame, and of course he's he's right, you know, in the sense that uh, there seems to be a break from. I mean, obviously we have 1960s uh, through John the twenty third. Who actually was, you know, in, in a true sense, the first uh, modern pope, you know, who was out there um, breaking barriers in a way that previous popes hadn't. But then after JP2, there was a sense that the church would move back in the direction of prior popes, you know, like Pius XII. You know, as a matter of fact, there was a big hula uh, balloon to do back then, you know, hoping that was uh, going to be Benedict. The, I'm sorry, uh, Pius the Thirteenth, you know, because prior to that, as a as a cardinal, he'd been known as uh, God's Rottweiler, and so all of that fizzled, <laughs> all that quickly fizzled out of the minds when um, he took the name Benedict the Sixteenth, uh, and into his papacy, of course, he continued uh, in a, in a mild sense, you know, the way of Francis. He's a mild, very mild Francis because he's about manners and mannerisms and uh, politeness. He's he's gentle. All these things are true, but that's not the way you fight. You fight errors in the uh, 21st uh, century, you know, by caving in to the modernist to the modernist idea that we all have to be one under the banner of Christ, even though we have 33,000 creeds. And so, for whatever his faults are, um, you know, he still held to some principles which the modernists did not like. And you might argue, well, ultimately, that that's why he was gotten rid of, um, but. You know, you know a, a leopard by its spots, and uh, certainly Benedict was very spotted. Yeah, brother Martin, uh, in the passing of uh, Benedict the Sixteenth, uh, you know, LifeSite has reported that you know, with respect to uh, fake Catholic usurper in chief Joe Biden, anyway, that Benedict the Sixteenth gave him some very strong words when they met privately, with respect to. Joseph Biden's uh, abandonment of the protection of the unborn. Um, I believe that that is probably true. It, it sounds likely that that's something that those two men discussed. And it seems like something that was confirmed by Joe Biden, wh wh whether or not he was wittingly or unwittingly confirming that point. Um, do you think that the present man in white uh in rome it's easier now that there's only one wearing white and you know 2022 let's say was a pretty bad year for people who wore white i mean pope michael died in kansas pope benedict died <laughs> i mean it was 
There's only one guy wearing white right now. So you either believe that he's the Pope or, or the seat is vacant. It's, uh, it's, it's, more, it's more clear. Do you see Francis ever approaching Joseph R. Biden and saying, Joe, come on. This is, it's me, Frank. You, you got to stop butchering the kids in your country. You're like leading the world behind China. Absolutely not. And, you know, it, I mean, the saying is true about the neoconservatives. You know, all a bishop has to be is pro-life, and he's one of the good ones. He's one of the good bishops just because he's pro-life. And so the fact that uh, what Benedict XVI would, les would lecture Joe Biden on, you know, pro-life, all that kind of stuff, that's fine. I mean, obviously, it's a good thing. It's a true thing. You know, you're, anytime you, you have a world leader in front of you committing genocide, you should you should wave your finger at him. Um, but neither did he excommunicate him either with with his entire history of being uh, uh, pro-abortion. Um, and neither did he excommunicate Nancy Pelosi or any, any of them else. So it's kind of uh, the neoconservatives are always going above and beyond what their heroes themselves tend to do. Now, of, of course, I mean, Benedict XVI, um, everybody has a, a different opinion on the guy. I, I had my reversions to the faith while Benedict the Sixteenth was was Pope, and the the college campus ministry where I was where I was a student was very fond of him, always promoting him and JP two as these ultra orthodox, ultra intellectual, scholarly people who always said the truth and gave really deep, profound explanations for our faith oh look jesus of nazareth was just published look it's a three volume said it was on all into this exegesis about the scriptures and the gospels and our lord's life all this kind of stuff it was a, uh, it was it was very intense but um well once you read this stuff and, and you actually study the faith in context of, of what the church has always taught um these guys didn't really give what they said was true wasn't anything new and more profound but the stuff they said on, on their own um, could always be interpreted in, in a heretical manner. Um, a lot of the neocons will say, oh, it's out of context, all that kind of stuff. Well, that's kind of the point. I mean, when you're, you always got to be t careful not to be taken out of context. But um, Benedict Sixteenth was he a good man? Probably. He, he always, I'll give him this, definitely. He always seemed like he actually loved the church, uh, whatever he thought the church was, in the sense that he was concerned about the sexual abuse crisis, that one of the first things he did when he became pope. Uh, was take care of the legionaries founder. Um, he always he was intel incredibly intelligent in the sense that he always spoke Italian with with correct grammar, even though he was a German, one hundred percent correct Italian grammar. He was always uh, very very precise about his grammar. He always submitted his reflections to theologians prior to to him speaking um, speaking anything theological in public. Whereas this pope will just speak off the cuff, and so he really did actually seem to take his job somewhat seriously, which. Which is why probably he seems like a, a a breath of fresh air, because he actually um, believed that what he was doing was important in terms of in the life of the church, um, whereas other popes seem to take advantage of that office instead. Yeah, um, let's go back around and talk about Benedict one more time, and then we'll kind of move on to like politics and you know the American conclave, the chaos caucus, the chaos conclave in the United States finally solved at two in the morning today on the seventh. Uh, Ryan, uh, thoughts on all things Benedict the Sixteenth? Lots of lots of things that you can go towards. Uh, implications for the Benedictus Pope crowd, uh, whether or not you think he's going to be canonized along with all of the Vatican II crowd, whether or not you think he really was that much better than Francis, theologically or ecclesiastically, 
Um, lots to lots for you to 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 talk about. Almost got me. The uh, 2005 when when Benedict was elected, and that was you know, and I was like, oh no, what's going to happen? Are we going to have Paul the seventh? Are we going to have uh, John Paul the third or whatever? And it was such just a, a at the time, you know, it, it was a refreshing you know thing to hear Benedict. Okay, here's something beyond the kind of usual what you're given to expect uh you know the the rah rah vatican two which terms like will show every last little detail even taking the names of the popes that have uh implemented this so there was that that was a that was just nice to hear you know a more you know traditional name a b you know you'd seen cardinal ratzinger i'd seen him say positive things about the traditional latin mass and that was a time as a young traditionalist and you know is finally moving where you know out of I was still a couple years off where I would, you know, put my foot down. That would be it for the Novus Ordo for me. And, you know, just went Byzantine for a while until we found uh, something better. But Samorum Pontificum was big for me at that time. It was huge. I was like, wow, you know, here I never imagined this could ever happen. This is amazing. And then, you know, bass certain fruits from that. But, you know, and my thoughts had changed on that a little bit at the time. You know, we were super jazzed about it. I think virtually everybody was. The, that it was trad or conservative and, and a good number of neoconservatives too. They were pretty happy about that. So the, the, the overall work of, Be of Benedict's career, of Ratzinger's career, he was a tubing and theologian, which is means, you know, the, their philosophy is yes and no, never make it clear one way or the other, always be all over the map, say things that, you know, again, with hyper crazy distinctions within that school of thinking might be, at least okay as far as as long as it came out to something orthodox but it's generally not going to and when you, once you put that in a common you know uh, you're reading subject it's going to cause scandal right benedict changes opinions over time you know he was attached very closely to very liberal groups during vatican ii and remains so just the less liberal group of uh of Ambalthasar and all them but really you know he had a lot of wacky opinions and as he you know, matured a little bit. He refined a lot of those. He did change his mind on a good number of things. So it's, you know, if you pick something like Introduction to Theology, which was a text he wrote, I think, when he was still in, in Tübingen. Um, I'm not even sure why Festio translated that. But um, then it was, you know, it, it, he changed, you know, a number of things as he went along, but not everything. He still had a lot of opinions that, uh, you know, we could balk at. There were a lot of things where he wasn't that far off from Pope Francis. The main difference is, he doesn't, he doesn't give the appearance of hating the church and hating trads and hating the faithful the way that, that Francis does. He, you know, he always had a smile, whereas Francis should always catch him. He's always got a scowl. It's like his, his default uh, demeanor. Um, no, that's, just, that's what trads portray him as having a scowl. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? We need to rebrand that. Yeah, rebrand exactly. But you know, it reminds me of the joke about that 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 one actress, Tessa Thompson, and like she has no facial profiles to show. It's always this kind of bland, blah, moving. People have made jokes about this, right? It's kind of like they were Francis, except it's a scalp. That's the predominant uh, position of his face, really. Um, but beside all that, it, it's when I look at something like you know coming out with some more in pontificum, which at the time I praised and I was super hat jazzed about. You know, as we got along, it's like you know. This extraordinary, ordinary distinction that really bothers me because it's a legal fiction, number one. You know, they're not the same right. And the idea we're going to try to turn these into two different rights, or to turn these two different rights into the same right uh, when they're they're evidently not. I mean, you look at the traditional Latin mass, the, at least as of 1962, 
and what are all that you have all the documents of popes who've modified or changed something from quo primum all the way down to uh, John the 23rd, right? Every single, you know, document that changed and affected, you know, some or added text into the liturgy, that's all the authority of every pope having the same authority as Pius V to do those things down to John the 23rd. It's the same right. You open up the Novus Ordo Missal from 1970 and you have Sacrosanum Concilium and Paul VI's Constitution Missale Romanum, and that's it. The Offertory, which is what liturgists used to use to distinguish rites from each other, that's what they use for distinguishing the Eastern rites, for distinguishing the Western rites, for distinguishing the you know the, the, the Roman rite from them. Uh, the Offertory and the Novus Ordo, of course, we, we know, they ditched the prayers that have been used for a thousand years in favor of Talmudic meal prayers that I heard pronounced in my grandparents' household after we came back from synagogue when I was nine years old, right? And, and even when I first heard them, uh, the, the Anglican liturgy has, has prayers that were far more reverent. Um, the Book of Common Prayer, at least, you know, when I went to it later, before I became Catholic. But, you know, it's like the when I first, you know, when I finally did become Catholic, I heard these, like, wait a minute. That's what, you know, Grampy used to use to bless the food after synagogue. What, what are, basically, there's a few adjustments to it. So what, what is this prayer doing here? And then somebody said, oh, it's strengthening the, the, the fact that the church is the new Israel. I was like, oh, okay. And I just took that. I didn't know any better. You know, but now I just look at that. Like, So that is the same right as the massive tradition. How, how is that? So it was always a legal fiction that ultimately tended toward one place, the one goal of the reform of the reform people which is that, you know, your father fessiotypes in terms of their liturgical approach is, well, we want the Novus Ordo to look more like the traditional Latin Mass. And the Novus Ordo will be better influenced and all the negative elements that a people see in all of their parishes every Sunday, those will be removed and you have something more traditional. And what is that? Except the very same thing that Pope Francis put in his letter for jailers of the tradition, that we want to get all the, you know, the only reason we're still allowing these Masses is to get all the people onto the program of the the reform as it were so it's like ultimately you know was some as sumorum pontificum was a great gift to priests a lot of priests now are traditionalists or traditional leaning because of it so it did good in those rings but was it the end all and be all was it the right document you know the more i look at it and more i say you know kind of no i mean the ratzinger from the 88 protocol all the way through and now where you have even gonswain admitting that, although I don't really don't trust Archbishop Gonswain, by the way, anything he says. Uh, it seems like he's taking it as an opportune moment to rebrand Benedict according to how he wants to do it and then, you know, make a little coin off it as he's going. Maybe I'm hyper cynical, but but one of the things he said, if that it does line up, it's getting everyone on the Vatican II Novus Ordo program. Benedict was still very much, um, you know, in favor and support of Vatican II. He just wanted to breathe. Not to be not as hyper radical as you know the left and 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 destroy everything let's let's keep the veneer <laughs> of tradition and that's where i think you know since since you know he resigned and, and francis has been in there it's made it abundantly clear where things really are and even the Novus Ordo eventually because like, it's going to be too conservative for francis really when he gets along it's going to have to be adjusted again to be up where he's at but ultimately when you get down to it we are dealing with a situation where there are two different churches, you know, and, and Ratzinger's vision was, no, we can have the continuity. And Francis has made it very clearly. No, no continuity. Uh, your whole Father Fessio reform of the reform view of the church, that's not going to happen. You're not going to get that. So that's, I mean, I, I could say so much more about Benedict. 
I mean, in terms of scholarship, he was a great scholar. It's true. He, like I said, he, was, he probably forgot more things than I will ever know in my life. But at the same time, when you look at the scholarship he put out on a lot of things, you, even just as a, a well-read observer, you know, you have to stop and say, but is this where there's a lot of yes and no, a lot of ambiguity, a lot of things that just aren't clear with the prior tradition? It's Benedict, don't forget, who called you know, Vatican II, a counter syllabus to the syllabus of errors of Pius IX, right? And there's no, no evidence he changed that particular view. Um, he's the one that, um, you know, <clears throat> you know, put in, you know, there's a priest named Rasmini who was condemned for certain views on church and state. And uh, Benedict had a whole thing showing he was never really wrong and trying to undo this condemnation of the guy. Or again, when uh, they have this doctor of the church they made, uh, I think it was, what was it, Gregory of Narek? I'm probably getting it wrong. And the guy, you know, at the time, I knew what his name was. I just can't recall right now. But there was question whether that guy actually died as a Catholic. And in France is the one who, who named him. But Benedict did all the work to push that in. So, it, it, you know, it's, it's one thing to acknowledge he was a great scholar. But on the other hand, we can't, um, you know, you can't sit on that, rest your laurels on that and say, yeah, he was so great. You know, there, there's a point where you have to, you know, stop and be willing to be willing to criticize them and take your take your attacks from the, the other crowd for daring to criticize. Them. Let's pause for a few seconds to ID our radio broadcasting partner, the Crusade Channel, crusadechannel.com media the way it should be. Um, I want to kick it over to you, brother and James. Uh, thoughts on the legacy of Pope Benedict the 16th. Specifically, brother, I'll ask you about the so-called hermeneutic of continuity, which Ryan alluded to. Whether or not this fictional creature ever really existed, um, we know that it has been totally undone uh, by the current man who wears white in Rome, who makes sweeping pronouncements such as the bogus Oreo, is the sole expression of the Roman rite. So the idea that there perhaps was a hermeneutic of continuity uh, should be challenged by the fact that, well, he at least, this man who lives in the, in the, uh, in the Vatican City, does not believe that there is one now. So my question is, if there is not a hermeneutic of continuity now, Brother Martin, was there ever one at all? Uh, absolutely not. In the sense that the hermeneutic of continuity was based on the fact that uh, although the liturgical texts themselves have been rewritten and have been changed, uh, it was still supposed to be celebrated uh, in, with the same spirit as the traditional Latin Mass had always been had always been celebrated, and that was kind of the uh, the basis and theme of his book on the spirit of the liturgy. And uh, he even critiques, you know and said one of his most famous lines in the, in the spirit of the liturgy is if we try to compete with the world in the presentation of the liturgy and comparing, you know, using pop music in the liturgy, when they use pop music at dance clubs at night, all that kind of stuff, a hundred percent, the church is going to lose out a hundred percent of the time. Um, when I was reading that back when, when I was in my early twenties, I mean, it struck me because it was true. When, when I had my reversion, it was largely, due to experience for the first time Gregorian chant at mass. I mean, though the first time I heard that was in college and I grew up a credo Catholic. Um, I went to one of the most ultra modernist churches growing up and I absolutely hated it. I mean, I would, I would look at the, um, 
uh, the way mass was celebrated by this this modernist priest and i'd just be like why does anybody believe this is true i mean if this is supposed to make us happy this makes me absolutely miserable coming to mass every sunday why, why do any of this and so in one sense coming from such a, a modernist upbringing to experience the hermeneutic of continuity so-called you know uh, a reverend novus ordo in college it, it really was like a, a breath of fresh air it really did uh wake me up to something else but it wasn't enough in the sense that it was uh you know only like a half a glass of water when you're just dying of thirst and you need a full glass in the sense that the more and more i started uh, you know you grow in your faith you, st you start discovering that there's hand missiles there's the liturgy of the hours there's all these other you know prayers of the church um and because you're so hungry and so thirsty for the faith because you haven't experienced it at all in your childhood you just go you know splurge on all these books and so I remember going to daily mass uh, with my Novus Ordo hand missile, all that kind of stuff, trying to guess which Eucharistic prayer they're going to do because everything is unpredictable. You know, whereas in the traditional Latin mass, it's all it's all one thing. It's all right there. Um, I remember listening to the to the prayers of the offertory and and being completely unsatisfied, especially when the priest said, pray, brethren, that my sacrifice and yours be made acceptable to God and my Father. And I was thinking, and I was always thinking, it's like, my sacrifice? What is my sacrifice? I didn't make that bread on the altar. I didn't make that wine. What what exactly is my my sacrifice? So I remember looking at you know through the, the Eucharistic prayers and everything else, trying trying to find some sort of evidence of what my sacrifice was, and, and there was nothing. If there's anything that a liturgy is supposed to help us do, it's to it's supposed to even use those prayers when we're praying to God to help us explain to us what we believe. And so there's there's a twofold purpose. It's first of all it's towards God and communicating the truth and, and our prayers towards Him. But also in reading these prayers, you know, the, the church is a mother. It's supposed to teach us how to pray. And so when she writes prayers in the liturgy, she's not only pr praying to God on our behalf, but also helping us understand what we believe. And I remember in the Novus Ordo just being completely left empty. Just I have no idea what my sacrifice is. What does this even mean? And it was only in, in you know, me seeking out answers through priests. Like, what is this? I need, I need, I need more explanations, um, you know, to talk about your works, your sacrifices, your, your sufferings throughout your week you unite them with the priest who then places them in the host who then you know consecrates just this is my body and makes those same sacrifices uniting them to our lord because it's only when when your sacrifices and sufferings are united to our lord only then do they become acceptable to, to almighty god well great that's a great explanation why, why can't you say this in the prayers however in the in the Roman in the in the roman canon um something of that is alluded in the hankigitor and the quamulationum the two the two last prayers in the Roman canon before the consecration, if you read those um, in your missiles, you will you will see in particular that it's re uh, referring to your sacrifices in particular. That uh, right when when I mean the hand gesture was was I mean it comes from the, from the Jewish faith, faith when uh, the the sacrifices of the people were placed on the sacrificial lamb. And so studying a little bit of the history and looking at the prayers, like I can see it's it's far more evident there in, in the traditional Latin Mass than it, than it was in the Novus Ordo. It was actually wiped out in in three other Eucharistic prayers. And so then I got to thinking, as like, so where, where else are they hiding my faith? What else do they eliminate of my faith from, from the Novus Ordo? Um, Our Lady of Guadalupe isn't is in a universal feast in, in, in the pre-55 calendar. It, it was in certain certain places, like San Antonio. I have the propers from there. Um, but it's pretty in interesting comparing even the collect for, from Our Lady of Guadalupe then to our, our collect of Our Lady of Guadalupe, even the Novus Ordo. Then it was like, uh, Lord, may we imitate the, the virtues of Our Lady. That was that was basically with the the collect in the pre fifty five, the collect in the Novus Ordo is like uh, maybe it, it's basically a, a social justice prayer that we you know protect all peoples and be equal and practice equality and equality and all that kind of stuff, and so it's 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 uh, it's it's a it's a different theology, 
and more and more when you, when you actually read the text, this becomes apparent. So it doesn't matter how much incense you use. It doesn't matter how pretty your vestments are. The two are different with, with two different spirits, two different theologies, two different directions they want people to go. And so that is really my, my uh, fundamental, uh, that's, that's the foundation of my dislike for the Novus Ordo. It doesn't really, it doesn't really come from that it can't be done reverently or all that kind of stuff. Sure, you could throw incense anywhere you want. Um, but it, it was written with a, with a different intent um, than any other liturgy in the church was, was written with. And um, it's not necessarily going to lead me to a place where I can understand who God is and understand who I am and, and how to save my soul. It's going to talk more about social justice or, and just being nice to people. And that, and that doesn't cut it. So in terms of his legacy, trying to square a circle, trying to, you know, hermeneutic of continuity, to be honest, he, he, tried, he tried to do the impossible. He tried to bend over backwards and you know the the, the piece of straw just snaps it, it doesn't work um but in one sense that's also why i think unpopular opinion in a sense is that he was worse than francis and that he made something modernist look catholic and so he deceived a lot of people uh modernist or francis doesn't doesn't try to make um his ideology look catholic at all uh, but benedict did um was he ignorant like i said before i think he really did believe that uh, this was catholic um, his understanding of what Catholic is. And so I think he was ignorant or deceived. Um, so he wasn't literally trying to lead souls to hell per se, but I think he, uh, he was far, he's far more dangerous in presenting other people. Hey, look, this is, this is a Pope you should follow than, than even as Francis. One thing I do want to say though, is about Benevac, uh, Um, because now of course they're all like, Oh, I'm steady of a contest. You know, there's no, the seat is empty, all that kind of stuff. What's interesting about Ratzinger, Cardinal Ratzinger is that when he was the head of the CDF, he, uh, he put out a statement on the took line uh, consecrations, uh, the one that happened in 86 and afterwards. And what he said was he, he was not going to recognize them. If, if someone was, was ordained a priest through the took line and they wanted to be reconciled to the church, then they had to come back in the state in which they left. Um, not only that, but I know one case in which uh, a state of a contest priest en entered a monastery somewhere and they reordained him uh, conditionally. They conditionally reordained him conditionally ordained him if an anglican enters the anglican ordinariate and he has an old catholic in their line the church accepts that flat out no uh, conditional reordinations all that kind of stuff the church just simply accepts it flat out so it's pretty interesting to compare the took line state of a contest uh, to what even ratzinger compared even the old catholics the line from utrecht in that the took lines were dubious but the old catholics were not through the uh, the Anglican, uh, Anglican Church, Anglican Ordinary, and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's pretty interesting because if, if Benedict Contest becomes State of a Contest, I mean, where are they going to go for the sacraments? They can't go to the State of a Contest. And so if they in in the, so the only place uh, to go then for for Mass is is those masses that have Francis named in the canon as as the Pope. So it's kind of a uh, you're kind of out of luck there, Benedict Contest. You, know, you got no place to go. Um. Yeah. Final, finally, over to you, James. Uh, your your closing thoughts on the legacy of sixteenth, <clears throat> and perhaps if you could, if you could also just speak on Samorum Pontificum uh, and its undoing, seemingly with Traditionalis Castellas and the threat of TC two point headed our way, coming soon to a uh, diocese near you. Uh, that would be most appreciated, sir. 
All right. Well, um, the legacy of uh, Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, may he rest in peace. Uh, might just be that he was the last vicar who apparently gave a damn about uh, protocol and uh, at least, uh, you know, who was traditionally minded in regard to his office uh, as as Pope. In all other respects, though, um, you know, we try to understand him as he wrote and as he spoke and as he acted. Um, he sought to bring peace to the new world order. Um, and as Ryan and brother have alluded, uh, he was under the banner of his idea of what uh, the church uh, or how the church should look in the modern world. You know, there was a liberal fraction that uh, came right after the Vatican II Council that sought to sort of throw everything out, including the baby with bathwater and a more, so to speak, level headed, so to speak, group, the Communio. Uh, was a group he was part of, uh, and they decided uh, this was going to be the third way, sort of a theological movement, if you will, uh, which was uh, headed by uh, Carl Carola Watia. And basically, their idea was, well, this is not liberal or traditional. It's more uh, trying to purify the church uh, by bringing back radical Christianity. But of course, all this was just... Um, you know, their idea of sanitizing uh, the, the, the world and the way the world saw the church. Um, and the, uh, Benedict was uh, part of that group that sought to uh, take, in this, I mean, in his words, he would say he tried to take the gospel out into, into the world. But when you reread re it in the context of John the 23rd, you kind of see this is, well, this is an extended uh, adjournamento. You know, it's just labeled differently so as to uh, keep those Catholics in line who were already frustrated with the De Lubox and with the uh, Eve Congars, uh, you know, they didn't want any of that. And, and, and Benedict truly, I mean, you can see it in the way he, uh, he, he basically sat as Pope. You know, you saw the way he greeted people, you saw the way people interacted with him. He loved, he loved the church in that sense. That's absolutely true. Uh, but what he, what he, what his legacy is going to be is that uh, he loved he loved the church in a way uh, that was not in, con in conforming to his predecessors. You know, I'm talking about Pius XII, eleventh uh, backwards. Instead, he loved the church in the way that uh, Pope John XXIII wanted him to to love the church and to bring uh, this adjournamento into the world. You know, so he was always looking for that next um or for that new way to uh bring in to marry new ideas you know with old ideas you know putting uh uh new wine into an old wine uh bag into an old uh uh a wineskin bag you know why you know uh we've had something for 2000 years they want to they, they want to tell us well we weren't doing uh what we were supposed to be doing we weren't in charge I'm sorry, we weren't out there uh, uh, being missionaries to the world. Well, I'm sorry to say, you know, the 16th century, the 17th century, 18th century, 19th century, even 20th century with Archbishop Lefebvre. You know, people keep forgetting this. Archbishop Lefebvre was serving in Africa. You know, he was under a mission to bring people to Christ in Africa. How can we want anything more radically different than that? 
you know? And so that was the idea of this communio. Well, you know, let's change things. Let's go out into the world. Let's take the gospel that we have and go out into the world. Well, I'm sorry to say this. We've been doing this for 2000 years. You know, the only reading to this is they wanted a radical way to marry new ideas into the church without, without losing aspects of tradition or aspects of Catholicism. And this becomes sort of a, a hetero, uh, you know, paradoxical type of faith that we are now living. A lot of people today cannot identify tenets of Catholicism. And if, if you do point things out to them, they say, well, this is not loving, this is not kind, uh, this is not uh, what it should be. You know, we should be more open. Look at now, you do you do uh, uh, some polls, right? How many people now think, who are Catholics now think, well, you know, um, uh, homosexual marriage is in fact a good thing and love love is love, you know? Or people who, for instance, uh, will say, well, you know, it's time, it's time for us to stop uh, you know, using harsh language to identify sins, you know, and this is part of that legacy coming from Vatican II, which, uh, uh, which uh, uh, Ratzinger, you know, was, you know, sort of inclined to, to follow along. And let's not forget that botched speech he gave in the airplane. Why mention things in a context that are going to confuse people? When you say, um, in order to pre prevent something more serious, somebody who is having uh you know relations with a woman or a man of the night should wear prophylactics what's that all about you know that's that's basically putting mutter <laughs> mutter that's basically putting mud out there and having people sift through it because they don't understand you know uh in in the way that he was presenting it they don't understand they didn't understand what what he meant and that needed more clarification and there was no way once he let that cat out of the bag, you know, there was no way to put it back in, you know. So that's the legacy. It's just more confusion, uh, more, more uh, uh, um, hermeneutic, you know. And uh, that's was, this is what we traditionalists are faulted for is, uh, so to speak, nitpicking. But is this really nitpicking? You know, we're in the 21st century where things really are confusing. The world presents us with very confusing things. And if we don't have clarity, then we become confused ourselves. And so we ask questions not because we're trying to point fingers and trying to lay blame. We just want to live a radically Catholic life. You know, what's wrong with conforming to Catholicism? Must we conform to the world? Absolutely not. And so his legacy is is marred because of things like this. You know, and of course, no one no one denies he loved the church. I, I'm 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 tired of hearing that. You know, that's not a way to judge. That's not a way to judge, uh, you know, the, the role somebody has, you know, uh, who's sitting on the chair of Peter, because um, people love the church and they're very weak. They're very weak indeed. You know, look at uh, uh, John, uh, sorry, uh, Pius XII for instance, he loved the church, absolutely. He was weak on a lot of things. You know, he caved to uh, uh, Archbishop uh, Bernini, you know, and people said, well, he was sick. Well, I don't know, you know, Start looking at start looking at uh, things that were coming out of the Vatican prior to him getting really sick, and you start start to wonder, well, what what was the reason he did this or he did that? Perhaps the answer is he was just a weak pope, you know. Um, and after after him came John the twenty third, and you know, then that's the story we are still writing today. Which way, Peter? Which way are we headed? Where are we going? Quo vadis?
Pope Benedict, his funeral is Thursday, the late Pope Benedict, his funeral is Thursday. Is the U.S. sending a delegation to Rome, do you know? So let me just first say, because we haven't been able to uh, be on the record on this uh, since the passing of the Pope. So as the President said in his statement, as I'm sure you saw, he joins Catholics and so many others around the world in mourning the passing of Pope uh, Emeritus uh, Benedict XVI. He will always uh, remember uh, the Pope generosity and, me and meaningful conversation they had when he visited the Vatican in 2011. So to answer your question, uh, the U.S. Ambassador to the Holy See, Joe Donnelly, will uh, represent the United States at the funeral of the Pope in line with the wishes of the late Pope and the Vatican. This is what uh, this is what their requests were. This is what their wishes were. Uh, and so uh, that's what you'll see from the U.S. Thank you. And following up, what did, I know you read a statement there, but what did Pope Benedict mean to President Biden as a Catholic? You know, the President, uh, as you know, he takes um, uh, his faith very seriously. Uh, this is someone who is uh, passionate about his faith. That's not something I even need to tell you. You know this uh, for yourself. And um, he, again, he, uh, he remembers the Pope. Uh, generosity and his meaningful conversation they had uh, when they visited uh, when he when the president visited the Vatican and back in 2011 and so that's something uh, that the president remembers and holds very uh, close uh, close to heart that the black lesbian who works for fake Catholic usurper in chief Joe Biden uh, probably got closest to pronouncing Pope Emeritus uh, correctly Pope Emeritus Benedict the 16th because it's a fake word anyway it doesn't actually mean anything so um, you know even a broken clock can be right <laughs> every now and then um, so uh, just a quick programming note on Pope Emeritus the rundown waited on commenting on him until after his death after his funeral we weren't the ones rushing out to YouTube to make the first reactions asking for your donations or your money, asking for your clicks or your subscribers uh, or your subscription. The rundown uh, was respectful of Pope Emeritus uh, passing. And uh, as a result of that, you know, here we are finally on the 7th of January, uh, days after uh, Pope Emeritus has been put in the ground, Ryan, um, you know, talking about it. But we do, we do have to move on, unfortunately. We could talk about Pope Emeritus for, I don't know. I'm starting to during. I don't know if I can say it. Can I say it one more? I don't know. Just, <laughs> just one more time. One more just time. Very quickly, as we transition to American politics, I feel like this would be a good way for us to recenter our thinking. <laughs> Trust the science, everybody. <laughs> Trust. The yeah, science. I saw where that was going, and I just closed my eyes. I, I, <laughs> no, I saw yeah. that. I saw that. That was that was good. That was good. <laughs> um, all right. We with the with the passing of Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, uh, many who believed that he was actually still the true Pope, for one of uh, various reasons, either the uh, the obvious heresy of, of Francis and uh, ergo it somehow reverting to Benedict, or the more popular theory that Benedict, although he resigned, he didn't actually resign. He resigned the office, or he resigned the ministry, the but not the office, yeah. or the office, but not the ministry. Whatever the Latin uh, argument is that uh, folks have been making online but those folks the benny vicantis as they're unhappily called uh 
were expecting to have an immediate conclave. And even even some of Trump's close political operatives, uh, like guys like Steve Bannon, were tweeting and commenting about how there are a group of cardinals who are preparing for a secret conclave to elect the next pope. Nobody knows who these cardinals are, but here's the conclave, unfortunately, that we got. We got the chaos conclave, uh, and it wasn't the one that anybody was expecting. A very frustrated Kevin McCarthy acting like he's some kind of alpha male walking up to Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert as if this is going to intimidate them. Matt Gates is like, man, look, I know you're a soy boy, all right? I know you're a part of the swamp. Kevin McCarthy's like, you know, I know you know that I have no interest in helping the American people. I have every interest in helping Ukraine and filling my pockets up. You got that, Gates? Matt Gates is like, thanks for clearing that up, you fucking Manchurian candidate. Now get the hell out of here. And of course, out of the blue, it's Mike Rogers. He's looking a little pissed, looking to back up McCarthy. Oh my God, it appears they're gonna drag him out by his face. And Kevin McCarthy has no idea. Now he's going back. What the hell's going on here, man? Mike Rogers comes in like he's telling. Yeah, that was so full of vulgarities. I just, I saw, that. man, that thing was that thing was action packed. I think responsibility. Should... I pulled it and I, I didn't look at it first. Otherwise, I'd have put in some bleeps. And so that's my fault for the. the, the well, let's, just, we, the let's just say a quick Ave okay. Maria in reparation, at least for the OMG part. Ave Maria, gracia plena, Dominus Tecum, Okay, so notwithstanding the uh, the the vulgarities of that thing, it was pretty. It was pretty. <laughs> it was pretty epic. How many how many ballots did it take? 13, 14, 15 ballots. It hasn't been done since the mid eighteen hundreds, since the civil war uh the republican party in chaos uh that's what they say anyway that's what they want us to say marjorie taylor green was like she's the trumpite right she marjorie for pope according to uh gary the fairy uh, he wanted her to be the pope here she is taking vote calls from trump endorsing mccarthy you know what i am why i'm upset because matt gate lauren bobert and scott perry the chairman of the freedom caucus walked in Kevin McCarthy's office last night and made their own personal demands for which subcommittee chairmanships they want to have and who they want on committees and who they want taken off committees. And guess what? The chairman of the Freedom Caucus negotiated nothing for me. Nothing for me. And I'll back the... Wow. Wow. she, she, She didn't get hers, and now she's really ticked off. And, um... I, all I can tell you about that is that you are still watching the rundown, which is broadcasting <laughs> live here on our own YouTube channel, simulcasting with our radio broadcasting partner, Kusei Channel at kuseichannel.com. Media the way it should be. MTG, James. She didn't yeah. get hurt. Now she's ticked. Well, she supported yeah. McCarthy yeah. in the beginning. So what did Right, right. That's exactly what I was going to say. She has been an avid supporter of McCarthy from the very beginning. She was actually asked many times, multiple times in the beginning, what she was going to do, for whom she was going to vote. And she said she stood behind McCarthy, which means she's happy with him in that office and doesn't need anything else to go along with this. So why is she upset that nobody was negotiating on her behalf? Whatever uh, negotiations had gone down, this happened behind the scenes with Kevin McCarthy and Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, and that ha- that's happened uh, weeks ago. We don't even know 
what what took place. What we're we're still asking ourselves why would Marjorie Taylor Greene support Kevin McCarthy when she was apparently opposed to him for most of uh, the year 2022 and 2021. You know, so this is a surprise for everybody. But what's even more now surprising is that T Taylor Greene does not see that she's walking around walking around uh, exposing herself. Um, because people are now saying, wow, she really is just there to get what is hers, you know, and doesn't care really about the fight that's in there. And right. so, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is, if anything, this is just uh, exposing her true agenda. Right. So j just to be clear for everybody, uh, what you're seeing here is a screenshot put out by Church Militant. Michael Voris was very excited when Milo Yiannopoulos, who at the time worked for MTG, got him an interview with MTG. And Mar Marjorie Taylor Greene is an apostate. She's a former Catholic. She's actively left the Catholic Church. And yet, uh, notwithstanding that fact, Church Militant decided to publish M Marjorie for Pope. That's the that's their headline. Here's Michael Voris with Marjorie Taylor Greene. She is a McCarthyite. Now, what's most interesting about all of this, Brother Martin, is that Michael Voris went out to Twitter to condemn MTG. There's nobody who he hasn't cuddled up to, snuggled up to, well, maybe snuggled up to, and, <laughs> uh, and then backstabbed uh, or backstabbed. And so as a result, you, you know, here he is – he was rebuked by Milo online. Milo Yiannopoulos went out to Telegram yesterday and said that he has no association with Church Militant anymore. And one of the things that he cited, it looked like in his statement, was that they pretend to be traditionalists in order to ask for your money. So uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, she's out there wanting to have her cake and eat it too. She's not willing to buck the system and oppose the deep state McCarthyite Trump picked uh, establishment candidate, but she still wants the upside of the negotiations happening by those who were willing to oppose him for 14 rounds. What do you make of all of this? Well, um, and James kind of alluded it, uh, alluded to it in his um, and what he was saying is that if she is pro McCarthy then she should expect to be defended by McCarthy in that situation, not by Gates. Gates and Boebert and the Freedom Caucus are going to negotiate their terms, but if she supports everything that McCarthy is standing for, then it should have been McCarthy negotiating for her, not, not Gates or whatever else. If she really thinks that everybody is supposed to be negotiating for her, including the Democrats, I mean, come on. If she's not a Democrat, why is she expecting, or she's not progressive, why is she expecting the Democrats to, to be negotiating on her, on her behalf? It's, 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 it's ludicrous, but it also goes to show you what we've been saying in the past weeks is kind of what, what, what Trump and the Trumpites have become. And they're, they're, they were never, uh, drain the swamp. They were never draining the swamp. They were, they were just using that to get in and to get to, to, to move the Overton window because now they've done it with the LGBTQ stuff. Uh, Trump, Trump is now pro LGBTQ waving the flag inviting gays out to Mar-a-Lago um, now, soon the people he endorses will be pro pro gay. He uh, he blamed the losses uh, to the House of Re Representatives on those who uh, pushed the abortion agenda too much, too much of pushing you know you know the genocide of infants infants too too much, you know and and so that's what the, that's the future that's supposedly he was supposed to be the hero of the GOP. He's going to come in. He was going to drain drain away the establishment. 
and put in what the people wanted. But now he's just he's just going for the status quo, the the the, the moral Zeke guys Zeke guys of today, which is simply progressivism uh, five years behind. And so this is what eventually the MTG is going to be standing for. That right there, it's going to be LGBT for MTG, LGBT <laughs> for MDG. Wow, that's there a lot of letters. That's a mouthful. <laughs> so only only a professional investigative journalist would, could could get that mouthful out. <laughs> but that's eventually what it's all going to stand for. I mean, I'll I say like my that. own pop for my own pop. Um, but this yeah. this is all this is all connected into into my own pop because something else has to be done. Something else, and and it's not have chickens and harvest eggs Ooh! oh it's gonna be spicy all right uh ryan i gotta get your your overall reaction because we zeroed in on mtg but you know the chaos caucus the chaos conclave in the united states hasn't happened since the 1800s uh in the one sense it seems like it's a good thing because because you have a vigorous debate for who's going to be speaker it, it looked like you had people who were who were legitimately standing up for the american people on the other side you know, it, it, it could just be more theater. It probably is. Um, you know, uh, I don't know how you get 400 people to, to act so well at two in the morning on the fourth or fifth day of all of this with people missing, you know, seeing their children in the ICU and all that stuff. I mean, that's that's really good. I would say, you know, crisis actors have, have stepped up their game quite a bit. Uh, there was a there was almost a brawl on the House floor with between a couple of members. Um you know, but it, but but at the end of the day, I you know McCarthy was always going to win. Uh, there was a, there was a lot of like, oh, the, what could happen, and maybe maybe the maybe the Democrat will win, uh, or maybe somebody else will be put forward. Uh, Steve Scalise, who was shot in the head uh, a few years ago. Uh, you know, I, I I don't quite know what to make of it. I know what my opinion about it is, and I'll give that after you do. Uh, but zooming out of MTG, because who cares about her anyway, besides Boris, um, you know, wh wh what does all of this actually mean, these five days of debate to arrive at the conclusion that we all kind of saw coming anyway? Well, strictly according to the politics and how it's being billed, uh, Lauren Boebert is out there, you know, claiming victory, even though she uh, did vote for McCarthy in the final round of the whole thing. And the claim is that, well, look, the freedom, you know, we got concessions out of him. So, yeah, he's going to be a business as usual rhino. But we got Freedom Caucus people and three of them and on these seats. And who knows? I mean, if all things are what they're supposed to be, maybe that will actually play up well. I, of course, don't think all things are what they appear to be. And I'm not ready to jump in and say this was all 100 percent theater because, I mean, that, that's not the way the level of control works. It's not like, you know, a Rothschild's getting up and picking up the phone and saying, OK, uh, get every member of Congress to start acting in this way. And I want these ones doing this and these ones do it. That's not how it happens. That's not how it works. But you have a few key people that'll be pushed in, or you have people that maybe are true believers and they really are pushing for, it. I don't know. There's a certain level of theater here in, in as much as it was always in it. Why is the fix always in? Why is it that McCarthy was the guy who was going to, you know, be, it's finally his turn as he's going to get it or is the establishment that dumb? Yes, because that much is, in fact, controlled. So as long as this was all going on, I was doing jumping jacks. I thought this was great because, you know, that kind of um, there, there's an official term for this in British politics, actually, that is a disruptor, someone who disrupts the status quo. People like Lloyd George or more recently Boris Johnson. Um, and not that Boris Johnson was all that great, but, you know, their role was that of a disruptor. Right. Disrupting the status quo. So as long as that was going on, because what happens if you can't land a speaker? 
no legislation can be done. You can't get votes in. You can't get, um, you know, all the nonsense that they're usually putting out there at the behest of the lobbyists. So I was my base. I even put this on Twitter. I said, hey, if they will keep this charade going, I might actually start voting for them if they promise to make sure no speakers actually sat for the next infinity. But um, you know, that, that would suit me just fine. But of course, that's not what really is going to happen anyway. So it's uh, let me let me do this, because like Bobert's interesting. She's this little firecracker. Um, whether she's genuine or not, I don't know. I certainly don't agree with all her politics, but she's fun to watch. And so here's her savaging Hannity. I love this. Now, Congressman, let me let me you tweet uh, town hall quoted you today saying the president, you, you said complimentary things about President Trump needs to tell Kevin McCarthy that, sir, you do not have the votes. It's time to withdraw. Let me turn the tables, Congresswoman. Kevin McCarthy has 202, three votes. Your side has 20. So if I'm going to use your words and your methodology and your math, uh, isn't it time for you to pack it in and your side to pack it in, considering he has over 200 and you have 20? Sean, I understand the frustration, I promise you. But I'm not um, frustrated. He does you didn't not answer my votes. question. And we are hearing... We I'm are not, hearing I'm from many frustrated. people who are still voting with Kevin McCarthy, who You're are not very my supportive question. of what we're doing, and they're cheering us on. So there are more for us than are against us, and they are waiting for Kevin to cave. Okay. Um, you know, the American people are certainly frustrated by... I'm frustrated by you not answering a direct question. You said to President Trump, you, you said earlier today that President Trump needs to tell and Kevin, Kevin McCarthy, McCarthy does not have you don't the have the we votes. Need to come up Hold with a can I finish? Candidate to elect a can I finish? Of the House. You don't have the votes and it's time to withdraw. He has 203. Your side has 20. Why is it time for him to withdraw and not you when he has so many more votes? Well, Sean, he needs 218, and he does not have 218. We've been trying Neither to work this you. out in private, as you said, for months. But Kevin McCarthy didn't even want to listen to us until his disappointing midterms. We all want a unified party. But this isn't chaos. It's a functioning constitutional republic. When everything is said and done, okay, I like the uh, House Republicans will be stronger and better prepared to lead than we ever have before. I believe you that this read? is what our founding fathers intended. And okay. this is showing Yesterday that you our Voted. Votes are working. Our votes aren't just an, uh, a cast. Congresswoman, to I'd ask you not to filibuster. Yesterday you voted, and Jim Jordan was your choice. Uh, today it was Byron Donalds who was your choice. Uh, tomorrow, I don't know who you're going to vote for. But the bottom line is, you still only have 20 votes. Let me ask you this, Kevin McCarthy. I think we're proving put, that we're open to me, a menu of options. Many you're different you're people proving can that 20 speaker. people There's don't want Kevin McCarthy man. at this time. But my question to you is we this: We are proving that there are many options. My question to you is. Did you support Kevin McCarthy's commitments to America? And do you not believe that he's going to follow through on his written promises? His commitment to America is not as, as strong as I would like it to be. And we have been working on the rules to change the structure of how Washington, D.C. Is, is run and operated. Sean, you know more than anybody how broken this town is. This is something that we have an opportunity to rebuild, to restructure. And it takes he, the right he tools and the right leadership to do that. Border security, energy independence, debt reduction, earmarks. And when earmarks, we asked him to put forward oh, the Texas-built okay. border plan, he and refused. Then, 
And then, well, he's willing to bring back the, the exact plan that worked under Donald Trump. And then he also has pledged investigations into the FBI and DOJ, the influence peddling of the Biden family, the origins of COVID and Anthony Fauci, the withdrawal from Afghanistan. My question is, right speaker. do you support it's not going all, to be Kevin McCarthy? Do you support all of those agenda items he promised? Of course I do, but I do not trust Kevin McCarthy at this point to deliver on those promises, especially when I go into good faith negotiations with him, and then he comes out and lies about what those conversations were, um, saying that members demanded okay, that's a, your characterization. A He's not here when to answer. We want. So let well, me ask fine. you this: He's you, you and others, to one member in private, because he won't apologize to him in public for spreading lies okay. about that meeting. Here's my question: So. I mean, it could go on. There's there's other videos we've got of the, that that whole group. But, um, you know, so it, you look at, I mean, Hannity is one of these guys, disc jockey, that got lucky. And he's such a retired old <laughs> rhino at that point. Another apostate Catholic, you might add, left over birth control, right? And, uh -huh. you know, among other things. But it's, and also his American politics were too strong. And he's like, oh, the Vatican's just not conservative enough. I need to find some conservative Protestant church that reflects my American religion. That's ultimately what Hannity did. But, Beside any of that, I mean, here you have him playing gatekeeping for that. And so if things are genuine and these people really are working in good faith, then what they they might have actually been able to achieve something useful if, you know, if the, the, the people they've gotten, you know, the concessions they've gotten actually hold. Whether that's really going to be, I don't know. And ultimately, I don't know if it matters that much when you basically have Nancy Pelosi 2.0, lower um, – version of nancy pelosi and less obnoxious to you know to listen to but at the same time uh the same thing when you get down to it, it which has been you know my complaint about uh american politics always it's the it's the there's the uni party you know republican democrat are two wings of the same bird of prey and and so whatever concessions that bill burton gets you know gotten i think at the end of the day really what you know we just have uh you know, Nancy Pelosi's House of Representatives just working at half the pace. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's fair. Uh, my my take on it is well, there's a couple of things that worth noting. Uh, kind of blending the Benedict 16 passing along with the Chaos Caucus uh, and and the and the Chaos Conclave. You know, I can't help but note that there are all of these Irish Catholics involved. You have uh, you have. Uh, Connolly, who's uh, the delegate to Rome. You have Biden, who's the fake Catholic usurper in chief. You have Hannity, who's a fake Catholic, you know, uh, apostate. You have McCarthy, who bears the the name of the of of, of course the McCarthy family, uh, and he's and as far as I know, he's not a practicing Catholic. So, you know, it's it, it's really sad that the uh, strain of Americanism has ruined the proud tradition of Irish Catholics, many of whom clustered in Boston, but who came to this country uh, largely as slaves and were treated as slaves. And in fact, actually less than slaves because African slaves were uh, extremely valuable and therefore you wouldn't beat your African slave to death. But an Irish slave was a dime a dozen, very cheap, cheap labor. And you, you wouldn't think twice about beating him to death because uh, you, you could just get a new one for one-tenth or one-twentieth the cost of an African slave. People forget that about the Irish. So when the Irish Catholics came here to these United States, and so many people, so many Americans bear the surnames, which are fundamentally Irish, uh, 
and trace their roots to the, the Holy Isle, the Green Isle, which uh, re-Christianized part of the world and saved civilization in, in many respects. Now, it is these Irish surnames that you see at the center of all the controversies in the United States and are, uh, and are bringing about uh, you know, the chaos and the downfall. The second observation I, I wanted to make about um, the chaos conclave in Washington, D.C., was that this actually, uh, on its surface, it may appear to have been a good thing, a net good, that we're vigorously debating who's going to be the third in line to the presidency of the United States. And of course, we live in a country in which the president of the United States wields more power than George III ever did. George III would blush at the power of the pen that Biden, Joseph R. Biden wields uh, a, a mere less than 300 years after our independence from that so-called tyranny of George III. Um, but as I, as I take a step back from it and I, and, I, and I witness the chaos involved in the so-called election of the third in line to the presidency, one of the most powerful people in the United States and perhaps in the world, I couldn't help but notice that we are one step closer to the Euroization of our politics in which a quote-unquote consensus candidate was almost reached. Perhaps a moderate Republican or maybe even a moderate Democrat uh, who five or ten Republicans could have supported. And so we're, we're, hedging, we're heading towards those coalition-style governments that are so popular in Europe and, of course, in Israel. And, um, and I think that this was a direct rehearsal for that. Uh, as the uni party really has unmasked itself and as more people have become aware that there really isn't a difference between uh, whatever letter is after your name when it says uh, representative uh, X from Y from whatever state. Um, as a result of all of that, I, I, I think that what we're going to see is that the, 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 the Republicans and the Democrats and the independents, that's it. That's all we have, right? Uh, are, are just going to have consensus candidates and coalition governments moving forward because there's no real bright line between them. The Republican Party has already fielded an, uh, uh, candidates into the, into the people's house, so-called. Uh, there are elected representatives from the Republican Party that confuse the digestive tract for a sex organ. Okay, uh, the, the leading contender for the White House, the most recent Republican to occupy the White House, is as pro-gay as it gets. So there's no real difference between Republicans or Democrats anymore. And so I, that's why I said what I am seeing, it, and this is a way to move the Overton window as well, the Euroization of our politics uh, and, 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 and creating these so-called consensus governments. But hey, guys, did you know that... Uh, I? You know, an, an NFL player almost died on the field, and that's pretty rare. You know, we never we never really see that in sports. It's it's something that, you know, as you're watching sports in 2021 and 2022 and 2023, you just, you know, you just don't. You just don't really see it. It's brought to you by Pfizer. CBS Health Watch, sponsored by Pfizer. Anderson Cooper 360. Brought to you by Pfizer. ABC News Nightline. Brought to you by Pfizer. Making a difference. Brought to you by Pfizer. CNN Tonight. Brought to you by Pfizer. Early start.
Brought to you by Pfizer. Friday night on Aaron Burnett Out Front. Brought to you by Pfizer. This week with George Stephanopoulos is brought to you by Pfizer. This weather report brought to you by Pfizer. Today's countdown to the royal wedding is brought to you by Pfizer. And now a CBS Sports update brought to you by Pfizer. Meet the press. Data download. Brought to you by Pfizer. This portion of CBS This Morning sponsored by Pfizer. On how to find the hidden sugars in the American family diet. Sponsored by Pfizer. brought you <laughs> it's so puzzled uh well the good news is is that uh hamlet has has woken up he's been treated very well uh by doctors in cincinnati and uh but but what i've i've heard james that uh you know not only he's been treated well by doctors in in, in cincinnati but there, the good news is, is that there are federal law enforcement officers on the scene right now, just making sure, you know, that nobody can can go in and and, and talk to Hamlin or interview Hamlin or, or or obtain uh, the true medical uh, uh, prognosis for for Hamlin. So right, the, right, the government's here, and 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 we're happy about that. Yeah. Yeah, the government's here, and uh, we're here. To, we're here to help. Uh, no one uh, can really sort of fathom ex- exactly what's going on uh, in the minds of Hamlin's family. For instance, I can imagine people within his family want to talk, want to share information, but are being s- sort of scuttled away from uh, anybody who might uh, get answers out of them. And so this is uh, unprecedented. You know, of course, when there's tragedy. Uh, with a uh, figure of notoriety, uh, you'll have camps of uh, journalists or whatever out there, and that's fine. You might even have local police trying to keep uh, people at bay from perhaps, uh, you know, uh, creating chaos. But to have federal government agents outside of a hospital, uh, that begs the question, you know. And uh, it's curious to see that nobody within his family has said anything publicly. Again, that begs the question. And so this is something that we've never seen before. Uh, and people are taking keen interest because, of course, you know, in 2021 uh, onwards, we've had very varying degrees of information coming out from parents whose children, you know, in high school uh, have been um, in situations that maybe uh, uh, right now, I, I forget the uh, toll. There was a toll. That was done uh, by Tucker Carlson. Um, sorry, a, a poll. That was uh, not a poll. I'm sorry. There was a uh, there were figures that were shared by Tucker Carlson about what's happening in Europe versus what's happening in the in the, uh, the United States. Uh, the, the numbers are staggering. From 2020 to 2022, the numbers of people who have come down, who's falling down, do, uh, when they were engaged in sporting activity, uh, who've not recovered, or who have had medical issues since their recovery but nobody's talking about what's causing this no one's talking about it you know this is the first time there's keen interest because this happened on national television which is something we've never really seen before and so uh the cloth thickens as 
uh, the dragon says, you know, people, people <laughs> that's really good. That's really I good. Hadn't, I hadn't heard that one. I hadn't heard don't shed on me. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> this is good. No, people are, people are really asking the right questions. And uh, a lot of parents whose kids have suffered uh, uh, accidents or as uh, people are calling it now, vaccidents. People who've suffered accidents. Oh, yeah, exactly. Man. Questions are well, being asked. Adult death syndrome is a thing, just like uh, you know how sudden infant death syndrome became right. a thing. Ryan, don't worry, I'll get to you. Uh, I, but but we got to pass through, brother Martin. You're the you're the football uh, <laughs> in the group. Football. Uh, what different sport? Football. Than Hamlin. Football is life. A little bit. Yeah, it's a different thing. But 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 on a more on a more serious note. We are now starting to see very startling statistics come out, which are which are being released in the mainstream media now. If there's a down, brother Martin, there's a downturn in people's reproductive capabilities, both men and women. There is an uptick in heart and blood related disease. There, uh, there have been more on field injuries of this type not this exact type perhaps but in this vein in the last two years than in recorded history and we are now being told that by, by mainstream so-called news outlets that things like shoveling snow or going for a jog or uh or the the, the reproductive act or uh anything strenuous can can now suddenly be bad for your health and cause uh myocarditis and, and heart attacks mindful of the fact that we are on youtube still but we're, we're seeing all of these things brother martin and and i can't help look this is not a pat ourselves on the back we were right everybody else was wrong but but this the stakes are high here it's a very serious topic it affects lots of people's lives. There are people in the chat who are telling harrowing stories of people that they know and love and are related to who have been injured by experimental serums. And yet, those other outlets, which is essentially everyone but the rundown, who were deceived for a period of time, and some of whom continue to be deceived, and are spreading the true misinformation... Even those who have woken who who have woken up, and I'm and, and, and it could be an individual blogger or, or, or a fake painter who who lives in Italy and and can't find her vocation at 55 years old, or it, you know it could whoever it is right. But the but the the pro maskers, and the pro injectors, and the I believe the government people. If they believed the government in April of 2022 or April 2020, that's one thing. If in 2021 they still hadn't woken up, or you know, now they act courageous, Brother Martin. And I don't want to list them all, but Church Militant is definitely one of them. They they now they act courageous and they're, they're against the COVID tyranny in 2023. Wow, how brave you are three years later. Good job. But this, this isn't about being right. This isn't about like scoring points. This isn't about, hey, you know, uh, uh, we're more credible or, or anything like that. These are people's lives. And you 
of all people that I know, know how precious having your health is. And when your health departs you, what that means. Well, first, just a reminder to everyone, uh, your health isn't yours. It's given to you on loan. And one day, uh, as you get older in life, it'll be taken from you. And when it's taken from you, you're going to have the instinct to pray God that he give it to you back. And just a reminder that right now, while you have it, you should live your life in such a way where you actually have a legitimate reason to ask for it back. Because, I mean, in his justice, he should ask for you, why? What have you done with it? If, if with your health, all you did was, was uh, give offense to me and, and live a life according to how you wanted to live it, it's better that I should take it. That way you, you acknowledge what's, what life is really about. And you can offer your suffering up and you can save your soul. But if you live your life when you're healthy in such a way um, that you live it selflessly for others, you might have a legitimate reason to ask for it back. Lord, I gave my life for others. I use my health to give for others. Um, if you give it to me back, I can continue to do so. Then he might think, okay, if I give him his health back, he can continue to save his soul by giving his life for others. Just, just, just a thought. In terms of those who, who got the jab, in one sense, it's too little too late. Um, if they've got it, they injected something in their body that's going to go through in their bloodstream is going to affect them. And so in, in one way, you could, the best you can do is, is uh, convince them not to take the continuing boosters or at least to, to stop encouraging others to take it. Um, there was one of the most notorious uh, e-priests online who, you know, with his iWatch was, was posting his heart rate after his exercise, you know, his 170s and 180s. And it, was, it would stay that high for six hours after a workout and he'd go to the emergency room. I mean, it, it literally is no joke. I mean, when I was a kid playing, playing soccer in high school, the, the, the fear that we had was, you know, three-day uh, tryouts in the summer, middle of the August heat, uh, was someone collapsing because they, didn't, they were dehydrated. It was heat exhaustion that we were afraid about. It wasn't just any random person just falling over. You know, of course, when, 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 when someone just falls over, I mean, you can, you can see from the video from, from Daryl Hamlin's, you know, the, the referee just kind of looks at him for a second and be like, okay, is he just like, is his, is his knee hurt or something? Or is it, did his heart stop? You know, so it'll take a second for people to actually realize what's going on. Um, unfor unfortunately, for those who have already taken it, they, they, they glorified science. And I think that's, that's ultimately what it came down to is people became to worship this life so much that they, were, they had a, uh, an irrational and unspiritual fear of death. Um, and, then, and then second, they glorified science so much that if, if, if a scientist tells you this is legitimate, religion pushed aside, oh, you know, priests, whatever, start giving arguments for, for why you should obey uh, the science and call something as some technology as new as an MR, mRNA as ordinary means, um, which is what a particular legionary of Christ was, was arguing as something as experimental, never tried before, um, jab. Would, would be considered ordinary means. No, this is this is this is pure stupidity. And so, if you glorify science, if you glorify technology, if you have a false understanding of obedience uh, to what the church says, and you don't just take even just the normal, you know, when you go to the doctor and the doctor prescribes you a medication and he tells you the side effects, you get typically you get to discern whether you want to, to suffer the the side effects or take the medicine. You have to weigh the, the benefit risk ratio here. It seems like nobody got that opportunity um, with the jab in, in 2020. No, and, and if you even dared to weigh the, the the risks against the 
the benefits you you were uh shunned from society you were shunned from society and so there was there was political consequences to this as well and societal consequences it was it was absurd and so i guess that's what i would say is is uh to those who've already taken it i mean the only, the only thing you do now is get with it and understand, and understand that you you glorified something that was other than god Ryan, the specific question I want to ask you about the, the the whole NFL player, you know, Hamlin collapsing on the field and and having this, uh, I guess, sixteen people on planet Earth have this uh, this thing happen to him a year, and it just so happens to happen on Monday Night Football live TV in front of millions of live viewers, uh, right? But my question is, you know, there was a lot of indignation on the social when people immediately pointed out. Well, I wonder, hmm, I wonder if there is a, hmm, could there be a reason? And, and, you know, and uh, sure, I get it, but there, there's, there's a, there's a part of it that's like, it's bad form. The family is suffering. A man is in the ICU. We don't know if he's going to live or die. You know, same treatment that we gave to Benedict 16. Don't talk about it till after the funeral. Um, and then maybe, maybe you know, as objectively as possible, uh, discuss his legacy. Okay, so good news. Hamlin's awake. Uh, he's communicating with his family. It appears that he's going to make a pretty reasonable recovery. But the but the but the indignation, even amongst Catholics, Ryan, they were like, "Oh, you can't. You know, it's bad form to ask about. Is it bad form or isn't it? You know, uh, this is this is." not just something that matters to him and his family, but there still may be millions of people on the fence right now who don't know if they're going to take the experimental serum or not, you know? So, so it's sort of an urgent thing. I don't, I mean, I don't know the answer to it other than the fact that if people who get offended on behalf of other people to the point where they like can't function anymore, I, I don't know. That's some form of effeminacy. I don't know how to describe but what, what the words are, but yeah, am I wrong about that? <clears throat> oh, Philly, don't you know? It's so insensitive to talk about his vac status. <laughs> Especially, here, let's pause for the ID real quick. Uh, so, yes. Uh, uh, th this radio broadcasting partner uh, is with the Crusade Channel, crusadechannel.com, media the way it should be you're listening to the rundown or watching it as it were but yeah are what's the problem with it ryan what's the that's kind of what i'm wondering especially when you're going to feign indignation for someone else that, that's exactly what you see with the 40s woke women in los angeles that create twitter storms because um someone is, is not respecting some person of color the way they think it should be done Whereas the people of color involved just don't are like what we don't have a problem with that. No, it's silly. You've got to use Latinx, and then actual Latin American people are like what the hell is that? Stop creating nonsense for us. We don't want that, right? Uh, and this is a similar type of thing. You're going to feign outrage on behalf of somebody else. Now it is good form to just you know to not go too heavily into it, but there's nothing wrong with stopping and asking. Hmm, could there have been some correlation there? to some other thing that all these other athletes are taking and all these increased rates. Now, it may not have been that. It may, in fact, be he does have some condition that got hit exactly right, and that caused it. That could very well be, right? But in the context where all these other athletes are dropping dead, 
uh, or dropping with serious conditions and, and uh, getting very, very ill after, again, uh, the same uh, medical intervention, you have to, it's not ridiculous because, I mean, correlation is not causation, but you need correlation to demonstrate causation. That doesn't mean every correlation actually will actually be in place to demonstrate that, but that's a, a key component to demonstrate that. So it's it's not wrong to ask about that. And let, let's get real. Let's backtrack one year. And who are all the people telling us? I, I want to know if you've gotten your experimental serum, if you've got your Fauci ouchy, or else you cannot do this. We don't want you exactly. on planes. That if you exactly. haven't gotten your Fauci ouchy, why you can't, you should be dead. Or the president of the United States, it's going to be a very terrible winter for you, uh, unvaccinated folks. Um, and, and of course, it wasn't, it was a very terrible winter for the folks who did the opposite. And Again, it, it's not there's nothing wrong with looking at a publicly happening event and just to ask a question, not to surmise. I mean, you do it in a respectful way. You, you know, obviously, you don't have to, you know, jump on it, make that like, a, you know, your next podcast coverage all day, every day, you know, for well, the guy's suffering and, and you're not talking about that. But at the same time, you can still you know, we can still look into this and ask about this. And so the same people that are gatekeeping on this that are making a big deal about how, how dare you, how dare you say that you can't say that. Well, guess what? They were the same people who wanted to know our medical information, our, what we have and haven't taken. That's what they absolutely wanted to know. But all of a sudden, it's inappropriate for us just to even ask whether he did. It, it's like not even ask him directly. You know, and, and it's again, it's I think what it is, too, is like it's there's a lot of projection, but it's also a lot of, you know, possibly guilt possibly of, uh, you know, or just the, the politi politics you're lining up on. Hey, I got this thing. I don't want this thing to be bad. Like you see absolutely insane delusional takes like some uh, doctor somewhere. I saw this on, on Twitter, the screenshot of this doctor's Twitter where this doctor is saying, you know, it, it's uh, I would rather if, th if this thing is unsafe and killing people, I would rather get it and die because science you know, it's it is just pure delusional. That's because it's become your religion. It's the thing you've got to help you back up and push at every last uh, available opportunity. And so, yeah, I, I don't understand it except to say that science is the religion and everything that's that these people do. You know, it is a religion to them. So that's uh, that's kind of where it comes down for me. Yeah. Um, I deleted it. I was going to subject everyone to the trust the science video once again. The man on no, the but this is a perfect segue, perfect segue for the British royals, actually. Uh, because the Windsor family is coming undone, they're melting down, James, right in front of us in real time. Uh, the book is out. Uh, Meghan Markle has single-handedly, I think, uh, wrecked the last remaining institution which connected the Anglosphere uh, to the the old world, and um, <laughs> and ben, she's done a number on Harry, hasn't she? Harry wrote a book. It's salacious. Uh, apparently it, it has details about, uh, you know, him falling into mortal sin in the sixth and ninth commandments. Um, it details his, 
fraternal rivalry with his brother. Um, it, uh, it, it confesses that he really hates being a royal um, and that he uh, bra pretty brazenly and in the open commits crimes uh, with no retribution or fear of punishment because he's a royal. And um, I, I think I think the, the, the final uh, mockery and humiliation of the institution of the monarchy, James, is, is complete. And if that's what they're going for, they've, they've been rather effective at it. Yeah, that's that's really true. Um, and what's really um, uh, what's the word I'm going to use here without uh, saying too too much? Uh, it, people are people are looking at what Prince Harry is doing and sort of seeing it as uh, a denigration of his his own uh, person and his own uh, life and his own accomplishments. You know, he has a book that's titled Spare. This is a term uh, that is not so so elegant for describing the second uh, heir to to the throne in, in the sense that uh, you know after the entire progeny of uh, you know the uh, the, the uh, you know uh, uh, Prince William is is done for then you have the second person who is not necessarily meant to be the chosen one who becomes you know, the heir apparent. So he called himself a spare. And I, I can't imagine what's going through the minds of the English uh, people right now, hearing and listening to all of this coming out and wondering uh, what exactly went wrong. He's certainly living the legacy of his uh, scandalous, uh, 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 is it uh, great, great grandfather, so not great grandfather, uh, grand, grand uncle, I guess you would say, uh, King George, who uh, basically left uh, everything behind and ran off with an American heiress who was a divorcee at the time. Uh, this is exactly what he's living right now. And if that wasn't shameful enough for the royal family, this certainly takes takes the cake. Um, it's, it's certainly not something that uh, he's going to come out of very well at all. This might be uh, the last time you hear him say something and actually listen to him because people who are reading this book are disgusted with the amount of information. And these are people who don't necessarily like the royal family. These are people who just maybe might be indifferent or just kind of want the royal family to to die and go on. But then this book sort of uh, addresses a lot of things that are disconcerting, and people are not uh, willing to to sort of say, "Oh, wow, this is good stuff," you know, because now this this will end the uh, unnecessary uh, monarchy that we see. You, you know, uh, with 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 the British, they're they're absolutely disgusted by Harry's uh, revelations, and uh, they're looking for this to sort of die quickly. You know, and uh, this is certainly not a legacy that he would have wanted for himself if it weren't for uh, Markle coming into his life. I I think um, it, it, I mean evidence just kind of shows that he's being uh, basically ruled by. His his wife, if you want to call call her that, you know, um, what's what's their agenda? I really don't know. Except um, if they think this is going to be the undoing of the uh, of the royals, they've in fact uh, basically had a hand in their own un undoing. And right now, uh, people are not paying attention to them the way they would like. There's sort of a mockery going on in, in basically broad daylight of um, of Harry. And uh, right now, if if they wanted 
um, the they wanted something to use against Harry and Meghan Markle to distance them from the royal family. This is exactly what it is. Uh, not necessarily Meghan's publication, but Harry's publication. This is the undoing uh, of Harry and Meghan. Mm-hmm. What do you make of it, Brother Martin? The uh, the spectacle. I mean, it's just it's it's really uh, made for TV and all eyes are on it is this just the way the, mo- the, the the way in which the monarchy and the royal family believes that they have to behave in order to be accepted by modern man are they just trying to are they just trying to portray themselves as a modern family uh so that you know they can retain uh what what vestige of of the ceremonial office yet remains or, or are they really just dis- a bunch of dysfunctional, um, privileged uh, losers? I don't know. Well, I mean, if you weren't convinced that a constitutional monarchy can never work, that they weren't in a contradiction in terms, which they are, um, it, it shows a lot that what it takes to take down a constitutional mar- monarchy is simply a few published books, you know, uh, from two people inside of it. Not not uh, the published books from or the testimonies of everybody else who's lived in it for well that's still alive you know the uh, the daughters and sisters of of the late Queen Elizabeth and the second who were there taking care of her and whatnot I mean there's so, there's so many people a part of the royal family that aren't just you know just those in the direct lineage and, and whatnot um, but as far as the royal family go they I mean in one sense they got they have no real prerogatives that a presidency doesn't have for instance like a a certain son of a certain president. You can just smoke a crack pipe and just get away with it, you know? And so, I mean, if he hates doing that, then he would hate being in politics in general. Um, it's not something that's really unique. He has no real, real in that sense, he has no real unique privileges to the, the monarchy and the, and, the, and the presidency or whatever else are the same. It's not something unique to the monarchy. So, um, I mean, man. The news, in one sense, they they really do think they have a lot of power in just exposing a lot of people's rot. People know that, or airing their dirty laundry. People know that in their own lives, they have just as much dirty laundry or what and and whatever. So it seems kind of just a matter of dramas. It does seem something that's you know off of MTV, MTV or whatever else. Um, and it's it's something that people will buy. That's why the publishers will publish these books. They, people buy them. Uh, not that any of us would actually read them, but people actually buy them and read them and 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 feed off a of drama. And then, to I guess they they want to focus on other people's drama because they don't want to focus on their own drama because their own drama is real, and so they need to escape reality. So they want to to live other people's drama to escape from reality. Um. So it's 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 that kind of thing. I think eventually, if it's if it's like anything else, it'll blow over. I mean, the the heirs to the throne right now, um, the prince and the princess, at least. Publicly, they give off a, a strong conservative vibe presentation, so to speak. Um, who knows what they actually are because they're Anglican. But that's another thing, too, is Anglicanism is, is all you know protecting pedophilia and whatnot now, too. And so I think the country in and of itself is in a huge identity crisis because they no longer know who they are. Uh, I mean, beginning with all the mass immigration and everything else, um, the amount of progressivism that Queen Elizabeth II, supposedly conservative, back from the World War II era, Live through the fifties, the, the you know the 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 ideal fifties uh, that she let happen to her country, all under under a constitutional monarchy, some sort of agreement between the monarchy and the people. 
um, that there's some sort of uh, responsibility and governance from the from the people for the common good. But the reality is an authority exists precisely for the common good. And in as much as a particular authority uses their power for a private good, it becomes a tyranny. So that there, therein lies the problem between um, a constitutional monarchy is that you have people who aren't raised and designated for the common good um, try, trying to govern it and usurping the power of an authority that exists in essence for the common good, not even be able to exercise the authority because of because of a, of a constitution. So it's like liberalism. It was doomed from the start precisely because once it succeeds, it kills itself. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I I I want to cut it over to you, Ryan. I'm afraid. <laughs> I know you're cooking something up. I'm afraid of what we're about to see. Are you ready? Are you ready to talk about the Royals? It's uploading. It's, it's uploading. uploading. So I'll just give a few remarks and then it'll be ready. Um, it, I always find it interesting that uh, we always get America, America. We'll we'll we we'll kick King George right on out of here. Um, yet even in the very beginning let alone now, what's one of the biggest interests of the press and of socialites and a good number of people? It's, well, the British royal family, right? What's going on there? It's always been big news. You look at the level which Diana was always big news and in all the American tabloids, as well as the European ones. Um, it, uh, you know, it beggars the imagination that a nation that is so committed to representative republicanism or, you know, or whatever it is we've got now, our democracy, as, as we're told it is, are always so interested in what's going on over there. Now, obviously, there's some people that buck the trend and just don't care. But like, just the, the media wouldn't put it out there for absolutely no reason because they know there's a lot of people that really are interested in all that. And so um, I, I talked to Kulam about this way back when we did our show on Elizabeth II. And you know, he actually knows people. He went to the same high school that Meghan Markle went to, and he knows people that know her. So he's from that whole Los Angeles scene. And the thing is, like, you know, it's all this 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 played up controversy. Most Brits, you know, she came in with a little bit of dignity and grace and, you know, didn't uh, try to tear down the whole institution. Um, you know, most Brits would have been extremely favorable to her. Uh, even if she was critical in one thing or did one other thing, you know, nobody would care. But it's the way she's handling herself. Oh, yeah, another yank coming over here to tell us how we should do things. And so, you know, in, in, in an age where republicanism, you know, is, is probably higher margins in England than it has in, you know, since Cromwell, uh, Meghan Markle is not popular, right? And the monarchy is actually enjoying, you know, higher popularity than it has for a while, surprisingly. So, it's it's kind of an odd thing. It's it's a it's a weird thing, but at the same time, it's you look at someone like Meghan Markle. She's this obnoxious, uh, disgusting person as a person. You know, it, whatever about her skin color, whatever about this, it's just the way she acts is not affable. It doesn't, you know, you leave you with a good impression, and you're just like, you know, can these people go away? And and that's actually what British public opinion has been for the most part, is, you know, they'd like to see them stripped of their titles. Let's let people go away, you know. It, it, we, we don't need them up, you know, doing this and doing that and doing this other thing. So it, it's so obnoxious. But And I could go on, but I think, actually, we got this is about two minutes. Let's let a British historian who's there, who sees it, let, we'll let him lay it out. I don't think anybody was surprised about the outpouring of, uh, of grief about um, Her Late Majesty the Queen. But were you slightly surprised about how 
popular King Charles was so soon? Because I think before he became king, there was a certainly some view that he, you know, people might not be take to him quite as well as they had his mother. That's certainly the case. And that view was actually pushed very hard. And remember, the person pushing that view principally, one has to say it, was the late Princess Diana, who did everything she could, it must be said, to damage Charles's prospects as king. And he survived, uh, not least, of course, because of the queen herself. And the late queen, her Majesty, Elizabeth II, she's the one who says firmly, I want my son to succeed as head of the Commonwealth. She's the one in one of her last interventions in public life who says, I want Camilla to be queen. So she does what a monarch should do, which is, remember, the whole purpose of monarchy is continuity. She smooths the path to the next generation. It's like a kind of relay race of generations. You don't pass on a baton and you're not wearing shorts, you're wearing a crown and robes, but you pass that on. And the, that extraordinary moment of the Queen's death, which her funeral, which we all remember when the crown was removed from the coffin, that extraordinary moment again, when the wand of office was broken, you had the sense of sovereignty monarchy moving from one person to another. And I think Charles has grasped the baton very impressively. Now, that doesn't mean that there are not problems. I mean, Harry and Meghan, well, in Well, sense. I was going to ask about that, David. How is King Charles now going to stamp his authority moving forward? How is he going to battle with other people, it seems like, who are vying for a new royal family from across the waters, Harry and Meghan? I don't think they much matter. I mean, look at the opinion polls today. I mean, um, uh, a near majority of people not only say they don't much like them, but they actually want them stripped of their titles. I mean, the uh, you know they they've with with every passing day. I think with every desperate attempt at taking a little molehill of grievance and trying to turn it into a vast, you know, vast Himalayas of resentment, they become less relevant. Um, and what I think Charles is doing is actually playing a rather clever long game. What I would guess, Esther, is waiting for them to destroy themselves. So he doesn't actually need to do anything very dramatic. He's just letting events take their course, which I think is a very wise thing to do. I mean, you're muted. Whoops, got me finally. Uh, there's money for the muter. Um, British historian David Starkey, there you have it. And, uh, you know, I just let him be the kind of the my last word anyway in Harry and Meghan. Yeah, um, and, and I think that that's fair. And, um, you know, as the old adage goes, when your enemy is uh, making mistakes, get out of their way. Get out of their way. And that's mm -hmm. sort of what we saw the Democrats do in the American conclave this week, you know, <laughs> They didn't vote to adjourn. No, we're, we're not adjourning. You guys keep going. You do your thing. When you're imploding, when your enemy is imploding, you know, you just let them do their thing. Good afternoon from Rome, everybody. Cardinal Dolan here. Thanks for joining in. It's been a very moving day here in Rome, in the Vatican. I'm standing right outside St. Peter's Basilica as we just left from the, the very moving uh, and emotional funeral of our beloved Pope Benedict. 
and it was it was very uh, it was very uh, memorable. At the end, we Cardinals came in and lined the center aisle of St. Uh, Peter's as his casket went by. So it gave us a chance just to kind of uh, with eyes moistened and a lump in our throat to thank Almighty God for the gift that he is. I miss you. I'm coming home soon. Stay tuned. Oh my goodness. You know, I feel like I need to see something that like cleanses the senses and the eyes after, you know, seeing such, 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 such fakery. That's what that is. It's just fakery. Okay, I feel better. I feel like we are prepared. Prepared to grift, Ryan. Always Uh-oh. be grifting. Always be grifting. <clears throat> so I've got a lot of books on the slate that I, I'm working through. I'm rushing through to, uh, you know, to, to finally get, you know, out to press. So I got a nice thing, but I just finally put one out. I'm just going to. Uh, I didn't have it ready. I apologize, but I'm going to get it momentarily. Um, there we go. Just got to share it. So the uh, so if you remember the month of the, uh, the month of Mary, the month of the Sacred Heart, the uh, and, and the month of Saint Joseph, three books by Abbe Martin Berlieu, who is a priest in Grenoble. And uh, you know, wonderfully written books, just meditations, just really drew in. So this was supposed to be done in November, but obviously I was just a little bit busy in November, hanging out in the hospital uh, with my wife <laughs> with all these things. So this book didn't get done, but now it is at last. Uh, and my copies are on their way. It's why I haven't listed on the website yet. Uh, the Month of Holy Souls by Abbe Berlieu, which is, you know, if you, so if you're familiar with the month of Mary, you're familiar with... Uh, the month of St. Joseph and the Sacred Heart. This lies in, it's it's unfortunate he doesn't have one for every single month, but he just picks the months that have very laid out devotions in the church's life to draw in these great meditations, which are wonderful meditations, you know, like for each day, combined with an example from lives of the saints, some event of history, or things he personally knew, people he personally knew that had you know, interesting things happen. And, and again, drawing you in, drawing you in to uh, the, the holy mysteries that are taken on. So obviously we're, we're 11 months early now for next year, but you, you'll still be able to get it. And um, it's great for any time of the year, just like all of the the the, the month devotions that he's done, uh, you know, the, that I just mentioned. They're good for any time of the year. It doesn't have to be that month. Month of St. Joseph's coming, so I'll be in stock ready for that. Um, otherwise, yeah, just watch, uh, watch for new books. I'll be showing them here. I'll be uh, putting them out on Twitter and I guess eventually I'll figure out my Fedbook password and at least to, to start operating the Pediatrics Press page and on Facebook, or else find someone else to do it for me. So anyway, that's uh, that's coming in the future. But that's what we got right now. That link is not up yet, but it will be as soon as those copies show up. All right, two things that I don't have with me right now to to grift immediately, but things that are up and coming. One is our uh, 2023 calendar. It's in the works. It'll be coming out here within the month, within January for sure. So I apologize for the for the lateness of it, but as I've explained before, it's uh, 
um the lateness of it has to do with a, a priest that we're helping out because he's uh in the hospital and then he's needing of a, a life-saving surgery which goes into my second grift is that uh, unfortunately this this past week he took a little bit of a downturn a little bit of an inconvenience obstacle to getting him transferred to the hospital that will perform the surgery and so i have a fundraiser all ready to go um for him and all the needs that we'll, we'll be needing um to take care of him but i just can't put it out yet because i don't know exactly the exact amount um, so unfortunately I can't start raising money a little bit early because then church militant will get on us. You know, even though we're trying to save a dying priest, church militant will get on us because they want to count every single one of our pennies because we're helping a dying priest. So they want to count our pennies. And so that's just the way it is. Um, so please keep your eye out for those two things is our calendar and our, our fundraiser to help a dying priest, uh, uh live. <laughs> Thank you, church militant. Hello, hello. Uh, this week, I want to share with you something that I've uh, started reading again. I may have shared this with you before, but uh, this is always a timely book because of its author. Uh, the book I'm talking about is The Way of Salvation and Perfection. This is by the very venerable uh, and the holy saint, Alfonso de Liguori. This is a great book. It helps you to take control of your spiritual life, um, gives you all the, uh, the helps you to, to learn to grow, uh, to, to have that devotion that you need in order to make those steps. You know, we often um, in our daily lives might get uh, carried away with uh, things of the world, which might have some importance, uh, but it's always good. Um, I like to read this book in the, in the mornings, especially just before I'm getting ready to, to go to work. It helps me sort of reflect on um, what my purpose is and how I want to uh, change uh, for, for the better. We all need to change for the better, and uh, we need help along the way. And it's always helpful to sit down uh, maybe after uh, praying, uh, saying morning prayer, you know, have some sort of spiritual reading to get you ready for, for the day. And that's what this book does. Uh, and you can see this book is uh, in here. These are little meditations. They're not lengthy. Um, you can see this is the beginning of one. And then, you know, it, uh, it maybe it's, you can take one meditation. Each reading and meditation might be a page and a half, you know, and then you have the next, next meditation, uh, for either that night or for the following day. And you can really sort of uh, uh, take this book and uh, read it for an entire year. You don't have to read three or four pages at a time. You just need to read a page uh, or one meditation at a time. And it sort of helps you to recollect yourself either before you go to bed, um, you know, tuning up for the next day or before you set out for your day uh, to help you remember uh, the, sort of, the, the kind of disposition you should have uh, toward the world. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I hope you guys, uh, can find a way to pick this book up. I don't know if Midiatrix Express carries this, but you can certainly find this online, uh, various websites. It's called cool. the way of salvation and of perfection. We don't have it yet, but we will eventually. Very good. <laughs> This past week, a young man, uh, 23 years old, lost his mother. And uh, it was sudden and unexpected and unfortunate. And as a result, Juan is now the caretaker and guardian to two minors. 
Unfortunately, Juan does not have the funds needed to bury his own mother. One of the one of the corporal acts of mercy is to bury the dead. Many of us don't have the opportunity very often to bury the dead. If you'd like to participate in this corporal act of mercy to bury Yvette, uh, Juan's mother, uh, you can do so. There's a give, send, go set up. It's in the show notes. It's also in the comment section here. It's in the description of the YouTube video. You can go to give, send, go and just type uh, in the search box, burial of Yvette. Uh, Juan is only trying to raise about the, the, the cost of the burial, which is about $8,000. Sometimes it's more like $10,000. And um, they've only, unfortunately, been able to raise uh, $2,000, 25% of what they need to date. This, these people are practicing Catholics. Uh, you can see in the one of the pictures that it looks like that's Bishop Athanasius Schneider giving a blessing or, or interacting some way, in some way with Juan. Uh, this fundraiser comes recommended to me from a good practicing Catholic whom I trust. And if you can see your way to assisting in this corporal work of mercy to bury the dead and help bury Yvette as a 23-year-old now becomes guardian of his younger uh, minor siblings, I would be uh, much in your debt if you're able to do that. And now, the moment you've been waiting for. Prepare to be mesmerized. Get on your tinfoil hats. Get out your pies for opinions more unpopular than an alpha male at a gender studies retreat. It's the Rundown Zone Unpopular Opinions Segment. <laughs> oh, never gets old, God. never gets old. Did you bring your A game? That's the question. This is the first unpop of the year, the calendar year. This is your epiphany unpop, Ryan. It is. And boy, do I have one. All right. So there was a thinker named Eric Vogland. And Vogland talked a good bit, although I think he's a little goes a little bit too far in some respects, but he looks at the history of Gnosticism and Gnostic movements and how these trace themselves in the uh, the history of the church and especially in the history of modern thought, various things. And so one of the things that, you know, he notes the disassociation from reality, but also then, you know, appealing to a type of gnosis, a type of secret knowledge that only the true believers, the only the initiated can possibly see. And there's the ancient Gnostics, St. Irenaeus writes a good deal about them. But there is ways in which you have very similarities of Gnostic thought in and conspiracy theories become susceptible to this because I've been a conspiracy theorist for a good 20 years trying to navigate between things that are true, things that are demonstrable, things that are likely that have little evidence that make them plausible versus things that are just appealed to as fact when you don't have the, the facts yet to back them up. And, and a lot of times people will just assume that you know, they'll just take it. This is, this is absolutely a fact. And then in their argumentation, then, you know, because this is a fact when it's not then following all these lines, they're basically appealing to a gnosis, right? It's secret knowledge that's not, you know, that's that's not verifiable, right? It's very different from speaking hypothetically or surmising or giving opinions. And so one of the areas that I, so, I mean, you see clearly critical race theory and these sorts of things really heavily fall in with 
gnosis and secret knowledge. And the other thing that really on the right was QAnon. QAnon, of course, remember, is anyone still in that? When's the Kraken going to come, right? But you had this thing where basically some guy claiming to be intelligence, that should be shady right there, telling you to trust the plan, don't do anything. We, we, we you know, we're going to, and this comes down, all this knowledge, all these politicians are really secretly arrested and they're waiting in their trials, waiting for all these indictments to drop. You know, and, and they're appealing to something as if it were in the public forum and demonstrable and provable. That was not. And the Benedict is Pope thesis. I'll be nice. I won't, I won't use the, the name that uh, I used for them years ago. Uh, the, the, the theorists, let me make a division. There's people who look at it like, yeah, something screwy happened there. Or I, I just don't trust that Francis really. That's not who I'm talking about. Um, but the theorists who are peddling, you know, as fact, Benedict was forced to resign. Where is that in the external form? He might have been. It's true. Uh, but then, and then, be, oh, this canon says this, and so therefore his resignation was invalid. Or again, on the basis of dubious distinctions and things like that, they again appeal to this gnosis, though, that we have. And now, of course, uh, you have someone claiming there's going to be a conclave in 30 days, and he—I wonder if he's picking out getting sized up for a white cassock. But um, either way, the theorists behind it, when they start peddling a lot of these different things, fall into the category of Gnosticism. There's a great crossover between some of the Benedictus Pope theorists, not everybody who's subscribed to it or thinks it, but the theorists and the QAnon, you know, phenomenon. There's a great crossover. And I used to find, you know, a lot of times you scratch a QAnon person, you find Benedictus Pope person and vice versa. So, you know, it's it's one of those things that, they, again, peeling this secret knowledge, he was forced out. The the, the mafia, you know, the, the, the threatened for the Benedict. And that's why he resigned. So his resignation is invalid. And, and then proceed from everything is now factual because of that. But that hasn't even been shown. Where, where's your knowledge? Where's, where's your proof for that? There isn't. It's not there. Might have been. And if the church down the road tells me, yeah, yeah, Francis was never Pope Benedict was and he never really resigned, then I'll believe it. Right. When I have a certain criterion in the in the external forum. But so my unpopular opinion is that the Benedict is Pope thesis as predicated really falls under a Gnostic movement, just like you and I. Okay. All right. Beat that. Be a Gnostic. <laughs> <laughs> Brother Martin, unpopular opinion segment, 7th of January on the rundown. You're watching live right now on the YouTube channel, or perhaps you are watching or listening with our radio broadcasting partner, the Crusade Channel, crusadechannel.com, media the way it should be. Your unpopular opinion, sir. Right now I'm kind of debating in between two unpopular opinions, but they're both somewhat related. So maybe I'll save the second part for, for next week. My, my a popular opinion that I've been thinking about throughout the show had some precisely to do with chicken eggs, as Miss Casey uh, has has caught on to. Um, this past year, we've seen the FBI with with 10, 20 armed agents raid the homes of those who have led prayer rallies outside abortion clinics. Where at 7 a.m. they bust open the door, their kids are at their kitchen table eating breakfast before school, and they go in there arrest the father of the family. For, for praying outside of abortion clinics and organizing it. I mean, we, there was a big deal, international media, about a woman praying in her head out in, you know, in, in Great Britain and England um, and, and less media attention to the fact that several homes have been raided here in the United States with armed agents 
pointing guns, even, you know, around children uh, because they were, they were organizing prayer rallies outside abortion clinics, uh, abortion mills. We also learned that certain government agencies uh, may have had some involvement in the assassinations of our own presidents. And so this past year, we've discovered that, that our governmental agencies have been infiltrated by the progressives, by the communists, and are very much working against us. The movements in the traditional Catholic movement, or the sub-movement, so to speak, have largely been focused on land. Um, I'm not exactly sure that that's the place to start, precisely because the government knows where everybody is at all times. And whatever you try to do to try to grow in terms of a, a, something that will last to your children's generation until their your grandchildren's generation, um, they simply can take that all that stuff away immediately. Like it, it's too quick and it's too too fickle, too unprotected. Um, it doesn't. It, it while while it, it's conducive to sanctity in the sense that there's a relationship between man and in the, the land, and. Uh, cultivating this land and how it's not in one sense all of our own we have a right to private property for in subordinate to the to the common good to provide food for for everyone not just ourselves um there the it doesn't it doesn't match the threat at hand in the sense that the, the threat comes with guns and bullets to take it it has the power to take anything and everything that you own away from you while um we're concerned with, with producing private property for the common good and once it's 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 a, it's a noble goal and that it's, it's not bad it's not evil in any way shape or form but in terms of a of a, of a plan of action in terms of a program that will actually reconquer the society to to protect that which you want to do which is cultivate the land um the first thing that needs to be uh first thing you need to protect yourself against is precisely those who can take those things away now, those who will take those things away have been infiltrated by those who want to take them away from you. And there seems to be no plan of action whatsoever to, to protect oneself away from, from the government, which for the government, the government agencies who wants to take those things away from you. And so my unpopular opinion is that insofar as there's no plan to protect oneself from the government and from the government agencies that have been infiltrated, You'll you'll maybe cultivate your own personal sanctity and that of your children, but your legacy is over, is done. It ends there because the government will take your grandchildren and brainwash them and make them all communists. So while you can you can uh, maybe make sure your older children right now will, will maintain Catholic and maybe die for the faith even, which is honorable, um, your legacy, your lineage is over after them because the government has, has so infiltrated all of the public institutions that for those who comply, they'll win. And for those who, who don't comply, you're done. So don't flee to the fields. James. Oh, I think you, I think you uh, were unmuted and then you deliberately muted yourself to. Yes, that is, that's true. Um, how unpopular is this opinion? I don't know, uh, but I'll go for it anyway. I may have alluded to, to this today as well. I may have talked about this in the past, but um, it, it's it rings unpopular more today because of uh, recent uh, occurrence of the passing of uh, Benedict the Sixteenth, 
uh, my unpopular opinion is Smarm Pontificum was cleverly devised Mortuproprio for effecting the purpose of bringing everyone under the banner of Vatican II. Hmm. Um, and so Smarm Pontificum, in effect, is a problematic uh, document. Of course, um, we can talk about the aspect itself, which frees up uh, priests to celebrate the old rite, uh, the uh, antiquary, uh, uh, the usus antiquior. But you know that's not all it does. You know what, what it also does is to give room uh, to those of us who uh, basically reject Vatican II for various reasons. You know, it, it puts us in a very precarious position because, on one hand, those of us who uh, those of us who attend, uh, attend uh, masses uh, of the Ecclesia Day are basically subjecting ourselves to some sort of adherence to Vatican II. Um, and uh, we saw this recently when the Motuporia uh, of Francis came into effect, uh, uh, Traditionis Custodes came into effect. A lot of discussion back and forth about how it wasn't fair, it wasn't right, and it wasn't good. And you know, some even blaming traditionalists for for that document itself. But the reality of of the whole situation is, uh, Smorn Pontificum was actually uh, a caveat uh, that was given to the society, in a sense, to help to help them take a step forward in the direction of accepting Vatican II, and whether or not it was a clever maneuver by the society, it certainly was the intent of Benedict in writing the Smorn Pontificum to use it as a tool to bring traditionalists under Vatican II. And Archbishop Genswein, uh recently alluded to this. Uh, it wasn't really even an illusion. It was a statement of fact that he gave. He said the, uh, the document itself uh, was written by Benedict in order to pull pe people away from Archbishop affair. What do you make of that? You know, a lot of people uh, might not be or may not have heard this initially when discussions of Norman Pontificum uh, and its in initial release came out. You know, they probably were too overjoyed to read the details, but this was part of the, of the detail which was being argued back then and it's still being argued today. Yes, we can accept parts of Norman Pontificum, but the premise of <laughs> the entire document was to basically create an opening for traditionalists to sit down and to talk about aspects of Vatican II documents which they would accept in the future. When you talk about accepting Vatican II, people may not even understand what that means. Um, Gaudium et Spes is a problematic document, so is Nostra Aetate, and many more. You know, and so if you read these documents, which I'm not going to go into right now, uh, you have to kind of educate yourself and understand what the church uh, w was going to come to ask us, you know, to accept and whether or not you're willing to accept that, you know, when you trade traditional mass, will you get the traditional mass and then will you trade the traditional mass for aspects of the faith? You know, if it didn't necessarily um uh you know create an admixture in the mass if you're getting the mass as the mass but then when you get to the part of the homily which isn't part of the mass you know what are you leaving uh mass retaining in your mind you know if you're if you're listening to 
all the uh, drivel coming out of a priest who talks about uh, you know modern ideas from the pulpit, and then you go home, well, what is it you're retaining? Are you having something that's going to uh, basically uh, create division in your family? For instance, when you have kids out there uh, in these ecclesia, uh, they can, uh, uh, committees who are listening to these homilies coming out of uh, and I wouldn't necessarily point it at Ecclesia Day committees, I mean, maybe more the uh, diocesan level. But of course, you know, there are problems too elsewhere uh, where you go to mass, you're getting a traditional mass, which is great, but then you get to the homily and then problems arise. You know, uh, this is something people don't think about because they are thinking primarily of the mass itself, which is a good thing. But what are you really uh, getting if, if, if the future of Simone Pontificum is to basically force you to accept aspects of Vatican II, which you may not have really already thought about. Uh, there's a whole lot of discussion that can, that can be had here, but the, but the principal uh, problem remains, uh, which Archbishop Genschwein stated, is this document was written to bring traditionalists away from Lefebvre. Um, and so, that's my popular opinion. Uh, Simone Pontificum was cleverly devised to proprio uh, for the purpose of bringing everyone under the banner of Vatican II and how we get that into uh, an, a sentence and put it on a poll. I have no idea. I'm going to leave that to Ryan. <laughs> I'm your Huckleberry. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, stiff competition this week, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I think I, I have a longer one, but I'll save it because everyone else sucked up all the air this week my short one will be this pope benedict the 16th will be the first vatican II pope not to be canonized by new church and i say that because he more than any of them has tried to link the new religion with the old religion he invented the so-called hermeneutic of continuity he attempted to bridge the gap the gulf between the two religions. And as a result for that, not only will he be punished, punished by not being canonized, uh, unlike uh, all of his post-Vatican II predecessors. And for context, there wasn't a canonized Pope for nearly 500 years in between Pope St. Pius V and Pope St. Pius X. Now suddenly we're told every single Pope since the alleged 22nd uh, ecumenical council has is in heaven right now 21st uh, 21st he will not be he will not be amongst them according to uh, uh according to new church and and not only that it'll be worse it's not just their failure to canonize cardinal Ratzinger, the uh, the german pontiff uh which which will be the humiliation the greater humiliation will come when they attempt to appropriate all the sins of the church that happened since the Vatican Council unto him. They're going to blame Benedict. Watch, it's happening. It will happen. They're going to call him a Nazi. They're going to say that he was, was the one moving the children around and, 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 and the children abusers around, not John Paul II, not Francis the Merciful, Frank, the chaos Frank. And so as a result of that, Pope Benedict XVI will become, for a time, he will become uh, infamous in the eyes of New Church. 
and he will be denied the title of saint uh, until who knows when. And that, unfortunately, is his fate. And uh, that's my, well, that's just how I see it, guys. I don't, I don't know what else to say. I'm not saying he deserves question. I didn't say he should be canonized. I'm not saying he is holy. I'm not saying he, he is an actual saint. I don't know if he's in heaven or not right now. All I know <laughs> is that the church is not going to say that he is in heaven, regardless of where he is. My quick question. Oh, sorry, brother, go ahead. Is the Novus Ordo valid? <laughs> you know what's interesting is that I won your <laughs> opinion last week. It looks like, like I fought. You know, it's been a while since I won one of these things. You even beat out the dog. That's like if you if beat out you Chewy. I beat Brother Chewy by healthy two margin. You can't even call for a recount. I, I cleared it. I blame the bots. He blames the bots. Yeah. <laughs> Real that quick, only got, that only got 50 votes. What? Well, it's Christmas time. Oh, that's oh, true. Yeah. Christmas. That's true. That's wow. Fair. Well, well, let's see if we get a thousand votes this time, folks. All right. Yeah. As and one maybe does the least amount of voting for yeah. the unpopular uh, uh, opinion right. that Benedict is not going to be canonized. <laughs> 900 out of a thousand. Okay. There we go. <laughs> so, real quick before we go, I got the, the music and the intro was done by this group here, Clamavi de Profundis. They are Catholics. They are traditional Catholics. Um, one member of that family actually went to the SSPX seminary, I believe. Um, there's, uh, they do a lot of different music. Um, you know, a lot of Christmas, the, the, the Christian music, a lot of you know hymns, things from the breviary, uh, Latin hymns. Sometimes, you know, they're not, it's not meant to be liturgical music generally. Uh, they also have they've done a lot of Tolkien music, uh, Tolkien inspired music. Anglo-Saxon inspired music and other type things, folk music. So they've done, uh, you know, a good bit. So they're they're worthy of your support. So they were the the three singing the three kings that we I put in the intro today. So um, you know, I just got to give the shout out. I took it as fair use. I wasn't able to get in contact with them. I'm like, well, already made the video. It's pretty much fair use. But just in case, we're gonna I'm gonna say, you know, they've got a Patreon. You can see up here. So give them some support. They're good musicians. They put out a lot of great content. Um, and so I highly recommend them. Hey, Ryan, I have a question on, on this. Um, someone is asking me here. I have a Kath E girl asking me if, uh, Matt Marr is Pat, uh, part of that group. Um, not to, not to my knowledge. Um, they're actually in Idaho. They're, they're South of me a couple hours, but they are actually here. And so I, I know certain family members that are in the group. Uh, I don't want to mention them without their permission, their actual name, but um, it's uh, so I, I couldn't say if they have other members, um, you know, because I, I, I'm not I'm not like tight with them or anything. I'm saying Tenebrae with them and talk to him a little bit. And OK, let's just let's just, let's just state the obvious. Ryan doesn't even know who Matt Marr is. Ryan, thanks for taking me seriously, but I, I, I apologize. That was not a serious question. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Whoops. There we go. That's one of those joke you yeah. <laughs> It just shows how much of a trad you are. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man all right folks uh in case you hadn't noticed we've been plugging our new broadcast partner lately and that's because we do have a major announcement the rundown is now being featured by mike church the king dude on the crusade channel the crusade channel is used to be the tagline was the last live radio station there is that's what i was trained to say that whenever i would fill in on the big microphone for the king dude himself 2023 new year new you media the way it should be and so you've been watching the rundown here right now on youtube channel or maybe you're catching us on the simulcast with our radio broadcasting part of the crusade channel remember to catch all episodes of the rundown and announcing special announcement i knew how i have a solo radio show now launching this year on the crusade channel it's called paratalk with <laughs> Please subscribe no, no. to the crusadechannel.com, the media the way it should be. If you want to hear Paratalk, and I'll give you some uh, I'll give you some previews on the Restoring the Faith Media YouTube channel for that as well. That's perfect. Oh, <laughs> oh, it's going down, y'all. It's going down, and you don't want to miss it. What are you gay? That's what I'm going to ask if you miss it. <laughs> That's what I'm going to ask. So it's 11 and three quarter inches tall. If you're thinking about how this is going to fit into your uh, shrine. I have two shotguns on my home. They're locked in a safe. There's a metal gun case. We live in an area that's wooded, somewhat secluded. And I said, Jill, if there's ever a problem, just walk out on the balcony and fire two blasts outside the house. Buy shotgun. Buy shotgun. You don't need machine gun. You don't need 30 rounds. Buy shotgun. Buy double barrel shotgun. You don't need a flamethrower. And you don't need a tank. You don't need an AR-15 to scare those thugs away, no. And I don't need a grenade launcher, I don't need an F-15. There's just one thing I need to do, and they'll stay away from me. Fire two blasts outside the house. Buy a shotgun. Buy a shotgun. Buy a shotgun. Buy a shotgun, baby. You don't need machine You don't need a machine You don't need 30 rounds. Buy shotguns. Shotgun. Fire two blasts outside the house. 